Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from Sunrise Studios in Hollywood, discussing the 2000 slasher film, Scream 3. This film was written by Aaron Kruger and directed by the late, great Wes Craven. Scream 3 reunites the crew from Woodsboro once more, transporting them to Hollywood and aiming their satire at show business and horror trilogies. While once again utilizing familiar horror tropes and a whodunit mystery, this film noticeably leans heavier into humor than its predecessors. Though it was meant to be a conclusive end to the series, a fourth installment would be released 11 years later. So, Scream 3, what were your first impressions on the film? Uh, I know I watched this movie, I want to say when it came out, Mm -hmm. so this was probably my second time watching the movie. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have a lot to say when we go through it, but I... Just no? No. No. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I remembered it being the bad one in my head. Yeah. Um, because I love the franchise, mm-hmm. obviously, we've talked about that before, but I was like, you know, Scream 3, well, that's the bad one. Right. And then we rewatched it and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was giving it too much credit. Like, I've seen people online say that they don't want to hear people talk about stuff that they don't like, mm-hmm. but I got to be me and I got to be honest. And this one is not it for me. <laughs> I definitely respect the honesty and I hope. Other people will too, because this is not my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I assure you, it's not going to be three people just shitting on a movie they didn't like. But I remember watching this a ton when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always the first one was more connected to our childhood. Right. But you have Scream as a franchise. So you're like, of course, I'm going to watch two and three yeah, right. yeah. over and over again. But it is not as good as I remembered it. No. And it's it's been a long time since I've seen it. Right. But I think for me, it's just the tone is kind of all over the place. Mm, Oh, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily feel like part of the Scream series. I I feel like that's my thing. And we'll get into it, obviously, as we go through the plot. But there are some things that are almost like disrespectful to the films that came before it. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, We were watching it. And I know I always say this, but when me and John Paul watched the movies for the show together, we try not to say anything to each other. But he kept saying are you sure this was Wes Craven? And I'm like, it is. (laughs) No joke. I was watching it and I was like, there's nothing about this that screams. No, not at all. Wes Craven. Hey, no pun intended. (laughs) I didn't mean that. But it just, it didn't feel right. Yeah, Something fell off. Like there was just something that didn't feel right. I have what could be a few answers. Mm -hmm. Um, I did think it was weird considering they had a few months to scrape together Scream 2. And it's way better. But yeah. they, they had three years to do this. <laughs> but basically, when Kevin Williamson sold Scream, the original film, he also sold the outlines to Scream 2 and Scream 3. Mm-hmm. So he basically sold a ready-made franchise. Right. And the issue was when it came time to do Scream 3, he was too busy. What was he doing? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want to know. No, what legitimately, according to Wikipedia, he had just finished writing a screenplay for another film, but he was also directing his first film, which was Teaching Mrs. Tingle. I didn't even know he... I loved that movie when I was younger. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what that is. That was him. It's, like, <laughs> it's fun. But so he was obviously too busy, and they decided to bring in Aaron Kruger, who... 
has a great last name. Yeah, I mean, Wes Craven's like, I'm on board. (laughs) But he, I think he would go on to write, he wrote Skeleton Key later on. Oh, I love Skeleton Key. He also wrote some of the Transformers series. uh, Mm. All right. Yeah, but they brought him in and they're like, look, here's uh, Kevin Williamson's outline. Right. Just, you know, kind of built from there. And he basically threw it away. (laughs) I, I can tell. Yeah. They said that whenever he did write it, this is according to Wikipedia, he got the characters so wrong that Wes Craven had to do uncredited rewrites right. to kind of flesh out what would make sense with who the characters oh were. God. We've spent two movies with these yeah. people. Yeah. You can't just be doing shit. Like, I, and I think that's the real crux of it is right. I just don't think he fully understood the characters. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's interesting is, and another reason why it probably isn't as good, Scream is surprisingly violent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, is. for being considered like a satirical right, right. slasher. But the issue was their original plan, Kevin Williamson, was that they were going to be filming a version of Stab mm-hmm. in Woodsboro. And so everyone was going to already be there as the characters. Right. As opposed to in Hollywood that where this is set. a yeah, lot yeah. more sense. But the other interesting note, which I learned from iHorror, is according to Matthew Lillard, he was supposed to play a major role in Scream 3. Hmm. But he died, right? We mm-hmm. saw... Well, hold yeah. on. Yeah. Because I will die on this hill. Okay. We saw a TV fall on his head. Yes, right. we did. I never checked his pulse. I didn't personally yeah, check but it. wasn't he all woozy from getting stabbed in the kitchen? He was fine. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, he just needed to get his bearings. got hit with the phone, too. <laughs> <laughs> But after he got those bearings, I guess <laughs> he was supposed to be orchestrating the whole thing from prison, mm. and that was going to be the thing. I would have, I would have liked that a whole lot better. I would have preferred it too. I, I love Matthew Lillard, so I would have been placated in just him being back. Yeah, me too. And he was, he had one of the best performances in the original. Oh, stream. for sure. But the thing was, is that unfortunately, it was going to involve a lot of high school students, and mm-hmm. it's 1999. Right. Columbine just happened, and so. Not only were they telling them to tone down the violence, they were telling them they couldn't involve high school students. And so the film that we would have gotten and probably would have enjoyed a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. uh, We didn't get. I wish that they would have put it on the back burner for a while. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, not that school shootings exactly stopped, but um, either that or found like retold another way for Stu to come back. Yeah. Because spoiler alert, there's no Stu in this. (laughs) No, not even the food. (laughs) (laughs) now before we shut down production of this film we would like to issue a warning for spoilers Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two if you don't wish to be spoiled please go watch the film then come back and enjoy the show if you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers let's get rolling now obviously this film relies heavily on having already seen scream and scream 2 If you haven't, we'd advise you to go watch them or go listen to episodes 13 and 33 of our show as a refresher. So the film opens with the Miramax logo, which... Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy because we can kind of look back on it and have a different opinion of a plot point in this film because of Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Yes. You know? I I can't say yes enough. Yes. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. The film actually begins with an overhead shot of a helicopter flying over and illuminating the Hollywood sign. We hear a traffic reporter relaying information about an accident as it flies over the Hollywood freeway. We then get an overhead shot of a traffic jam. In one of the cars is Cotton Weary, played by Liev Schreiber. 
he's arguing with his agent on his bulky car phone <laughs> yeah about a shitty offer i guess to appear in a cameo role in stab three zach morris's phone but it's, <laughs> it's very um expositional to me it was yes because he's like you mean to tell me <laughs> like oh my god he's catching you up on where he's been <laughs> do we have do we need this dude again I my thing is I don't mind having him, but I just feel like they don't use him. I don't. Yeah, proper. I don't feel like he should have been here. No, I, I, I don't know. It's funny because I learned on the commentary that the original plan didn't involve Cotton at all. It involved an actor in Stab Three named because they're very subtle. Good, <laughs> Ben Damon. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's kind of my problem with this movie is that where they were more subtle in their satire, they're really fucking on the nose here. And I I remember we had talked about them turning it up for Scream 2 mm-hmm. and it like mm. they uh, spinal tapped it. It's on fucking 11 for this whole movie. No joke. And I, I do like that this is his arc for Cotton because we did see him getting swarmed by media in Scream 2. Right. Yeah, but he, he was fame hungry. If you remember and if anyone listen to the scream 2 episode hmm. i was team cotton yes and i feel like he lost some of that for me <laughs> no with this <laughs> shit yeah. yeah but he gets a call on his cell phone so he puts his agent on hold on the other end is a woman who has the wrong number but when she recognizes his voice she gets starstruck rather than end it here he ditches the call with his agent to return to the stranger he's like so you a big 100 percent cotton fan okay Great name. Don't. I was going to say, yeah. let me tell you how I know the name is cheesy, because hmm. that's literally what I would have named it. <laughs> I read on IMDb that the cast actually came up with the name of his show <laughs> while they were uh, filming Scream 2. It's it's perfect. They're like, yeah, you'll be on 100% Cotton. He's like, oh, you guys. <laughs> but when he asks her name, she's like, what would your girlfriend think about that? He asks how she knows he has a girlfriend, and that's when we hear the caller press a button, responding in the voice of Ghostface, provided as always by Roger L. Jackson. Mm -hmm. But he says he knows that Cotton has a girlfriend because he's right outside her bathroom door. We get a POV shot inside of Cotton's apartment as Ghostface walks into the steam-filled bathroom as Cotton's oblivious girlfriend showers. Uh, If I may, very quickly. Okay. Ghostface is speaking at full volume. Yes, he right is. outside yeah. of the shower. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. He's like, she looks real yeah. pretty. <laughs> Be like, She's what? Like, What's that? <laughs> she wasn't even singing in the shower, no, so it's not. There was no music. There no, was there was nothing. nothing. But he tells Cotton that she's a step up from Maureen Prescott. I was like, God damn. <laughs> but this is when the real game begins. He asks where Sydney Prescott is, and if Cotton answers wrong, his girlfriend dies. I um. I know I'm talking a lot, but I have a lot of issues. <laughs> okay. um, Sydney and Cotton have a pretty rough relationship. Right. Absolutely. And I know that at the end of Scream 2, we got this kind of like understanding between the mm-hmm. two of them and maybe like a forgiveness or a clean slate situation. Right. But I don't see Sydney and Cotton having gotten to the point where Cotton would know where she, all of her business yeah. right or, right where they're keeping in touch right yeah. i would feel like go after dewey maybe you know dewey would probably know i feel like it's really weird that right. this is who Ghostface reached out would, to, to right uh-huh. it's i'm sorry i think i thought that was odd i think the only way that it makes sense is how the film continues yeah you made but it exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just in service of the plot 
But rather than answer Ghostface's question, Cotton threatens him, which the judges have determined is not the correct answer. No. <laughs> Ghostface hangs up and Cotton's like, no, wait, as if he didn't just make that happen. <laughs> but he rear ends a car and veers in and out of traffic driving to his apartment. I laughed because the woman that he hit goes, you just hit me. <laughs> <laughs> But in his apartment, we see his girlfriend, Christine, played by Kelly Rutherford, getting out of the shower. On commentary, Wes Craven said this was a reference to Christine, obviously. Right. The, the film and the Stephen King book, I realized I just <laughs> said it's a reference to the name. Uh, but she sees the bathroom door is wide open, but thinks nothing of it. And this is the point where I'm like, okay, so now we're living the horror tropes that Scream used to make fun of. Thank you. You know, and thank you. that's another yeah. thing that gets to me in this film. But we see Cotton speeding past the billboard of his own face, (laughs) frantically attempting to call Christine on the phone. Back in the apartment, Christine drops her towel in a shot very reminiscent of Robert Rodriguez's stab. Yes. Right? And they were all like, when Jada Pinkett was like, why the fuck is she getting naked? naked? That was me watching this film. (laughs) But we see that the phone line has been cut. Cotton races down the street, unable to connect with his girlfriend on the phone, which... I did notice when he was driving that there was a bus with a Stab 3 ad on the back of it. They yeah. haven't even filmed it yet. <laughs> they got to get the buzz going. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Start early. But the camera floats into the bedroom of the apartment where Christine is finishing getting dressed. Suddenly, the stereo in the living room starts to play loudly. Creed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's be specific. And I noticed too, and I know it's a small thing, but she, like, she didn't even dry off. She just put the towel on. She threw it on the went, floor. Yeah, threw it off and then put on clothes. <laughs> Like, now your clothes are wet. That's not how yeah. I do it. I mean, but of, it is Creed. Yeah. <laughs> Which comes up a lot in this I, movie. This is a very oh. Creed heavy film for some reason. I think they had a deal with their record label or something. But in a scene I'm assuming was guest directed by Quentin Tarantino. We, we follow her bare feet as she walks into the living room, calling out to Cotton, who she thinks turned the music on. She reaches the stereo and shuts it off, reminding Cotton that she doesn't like his stab games. What? I don't like this at all. (laughs) I'll tell you why I don't like it. Because Scream 1, Cotton gets framed for murder. Yes. Scream 2, he stops a murder, but could have very easily been a victim of murder. Yes. And was accused of murdering people again. again. Yeah. And so in Scream 3, he's like, hey, I'm going to kill you. I'm fucking going to kidding. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. I had that really struck me as wrong, too. Because I'm, what, stab games? This was his life. Yeah. He he should be offended by Stab. I don't understand. But we hear Cotton call out from the other room, asking Christine if she's all right. She enters the room, but when she rounds the corner, instead of Cotton, we see Ghostface with his knife at the ready. A chase ensues, but she's able to outrun him and lock herself in the bedroom. After she movie falls. She does. I, yeah. Because yeah. she didn't dry off. <laughs> Dripping water all yeah. over the damn house. This is the lesson, kids. Yeah. Dry Please. off. But outside the door, we hear Cotton apologize and say he was just trying to take the game to the next level. She's like, game? He's like, yeah, you know the game. You know how fun it's going to be to rip your fucking insides out. Now open up the door, Christine. It's like, what? (laughs) What is happening? Yeah. So Cotton pulls up to his apartment just after, of course, we do see Ghostface stab through that paper thin door. Right. Thank you. I thought I was like, either all these people are super strong or these doors are shit. They're made of nothing. Yeah. They might as well not even have a door. Yeah. But Cotton pulls up to his apartment, rushing up to his unit to find the door wide open. So now it's very clear that someone's collecting voices like Mary Shaw because Cotton clearly... He wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me kind of gives something away a little too soon. Yeah. Yeah. 
but Cotton cautiously makes his way into the apartment, calling out to Christine. He walks through the bedroom and we see the TV is on, showing a new episode of his show. Right. Did you notice how aggressive his logo was for it such was a soft a little, name? Yeah. It's like red and black. And like, I was like, what the hell? Well, he's competing with Springer and, <laughs> you know, but it made me laugh because I think it's a, the new episode because he's wearing the exact same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did they have Liev Schreiber for one day? <laughs> you can tell me. But Cotton continues searching the apartment, arming himself with a fire poker and taking off his jacket. I read on IMDb that he asked to take his jacket off for the film because he had been working out. Yeah, I seen that. <laughs> He's like, I, I got to take it <laughs> off, guys. But he makes his way down the hallway, finding the door Christine locked herself behind, which now has five uh, stab holes in it, I guess. Right. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Stab holes. Yeah, stair hole. Stair hole. But he calls out to her when we hear some noises. He asks her to open the door, and when she doesn't, he just busts in. As he does, she comes bounding out of a closet, swinging a golf club at him, telling him to stay back. Absolute zero communication. Yeah. Yeah. No communication. Like, this could have been solved with somebody's in the house, Cotton saying somebody called me. Well, it's, yeah, if she, she's doing everything right because she's fucking pissed because she thinks, yeah, Yeah. he's doing everything wrong. Yeah. Right. I I had a small rant about that. (laughs) He was trying, I guess, when he was trying to call her or he was trying to call the cops or whatever on the mm-hmm. way over there, it said that 911 was on hold. Yeah. So I was like, okay. <laughs> They're why? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. When he, like you said, when he got in the house, why wouldn't he be like, hey, are you okay? Is there somebody in here? Or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Christine, where are you? Or did somebody call you? Or I got a weird call. Why he, wouldn't you say? No, just silently. Yeah. Or keep still trying to call the cops. You just put the phone away. And I would like to also point out that he already knows that Ghostface can change his voice because he was talking to a woman. Right. Oh, so, so yeah. Right. Why not say that? Or you know. just be like, hey, I'm here. I got a weird phone call. I just got here. Keep talking. You know what I mean? Try to make her see, you know, hey, that wasn't me or whatever. And he doesn't start to say anything until she fucking starts swinging at him. And then then he acts like he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. He's like, what? It's like, did you you not get a call? (laughs) You know what you want to do. Yeah. And he acts confused, like you're saying. But in her mind, he really was down to just disembowel her like five minutes ago. So as they circle around the room a bit with her keeping him at bay with the golf club, they stop with her back to the open door. Right. Cotton sees Ghostface appear behind her and he pleads with her to get out of the way, but she clocks him right across the face with a club. Ghostface advances and stabs Christine in the back and she falls to the floor. Cotton tries to get up from the ground, a little woozy from the club sandwich, but (laughs) (laughs) Ghostface slices his arm and then a fight ensues, culminating with Cotton throwing a whole ass bookcase onto Ghostface. (laughs) But when Cotton reaches for the golf club, Ghostface gets the upper hand by kicking Cotton in the face. (laughs) (laughs) He rushes over to a downed Cotton, stabs him right in the chest, and he pulls out the voice changing device and in Cotton's own voice tells him it was a simple game and he should have just told him where Sydney was. Now he loses. He stabs Cotton once more, giving way to the title Scream 3. Is this movie over yet? No. <laughs> that, that's not the end no, credits. That no, that wasn't it. No. I feel like it was such a weird choice to kill Cotton. Yeah. It doesn't sit right with me. I don't know why. It's unbefitting of his character. Yeah. I, I feel like he's way too important to be given such a shitty death. He's super, like, I feel like he was very well utilized in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he he was, you know, kind of jerky or whatever. And I mean, but I feel like he was, he had a right to be. Right, Absolutely. Right. Um. But I feel like this kind—it of, ruins it. It ruins that uh, 
growth kind of that we yeah. saw from him in the second movie and it's like oh you're just douchey now we know you have a girlfriend you're trying to talk to this random ass girl yeah. on the phone you i i just i don't i don't like it to your, <laughs> <laughs> to your point about ruining the growth that characters had from previous films that's a trend that continues accurate yeah, yeah. you know i yeah. think that's what happens when you throw someone's outline in the trash yeah <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say very quick, this is the bloodiest death in the film. Like we had said, the rest are very muted. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's because of that whole situation. Right. But I, it it sucks for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but in the next scene, we see Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, walking her dog Cherokee back onto her property. How the hell can she afford this place? That's mm. all I've been thinking. Because this place is immaculate. It's amazing. Yeah. Maybe she got money from Stab. Hey, she should. Oh, I guess. Right? Hey, good yeah. point. That's a very good yeah. point. But she closes a large gate behind her, locks it, types in a security code into her alarm system. The password's 1288, by the way. I saw it. And <laughs> she shouldn't have let anybody see it. But <laughs> once inside her really large house, as we said, she closes the door behind her and arms that alarm system and locks two different locks on her door with a separate key. I, I know. Yeah. Well, JP is just we get it. You know, we know you have locks. Yes. Yeah, I, guess. I understand that this is supposed to make her look like she's afraid of life yeah. or some shit. But <laughs> I mean, I would also arm my property after this shit happened. Yeah. And then the last movie that y'all made, Killers came up out the woodwork for that. Now mm-hmm. y'all are making another movie. Why would she not arm her house? And shouldn't. <laughs> I well, don't know. But she, but it looks like she's in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't it matter does. how many alarms you have. Who's going to get to you in time? Very true. Very true. <laughs> I was thinking the whole time, I was like, weren't you just walking outside with Cherokee? Yeah. Yeah, right. you were. That better be a fucking attack dog because, <laughs> so, yeah. you know? <laughs> One thing I will point out that is cool is next to the alarm system is a poster for the play that she was in in Scream 2. That is cool. So that's pretty cool. They paid attention to something yeah. that happened in Scream 2. <laughs> But Sydney sits down at her desk and we see that she has an operations manual for the California Women's Crisis Counseling Center. Pretty great that she's paying it forward. But again, how the fuck she's affording yeah. the house unless she got the stab Yeah, because yeah, isn't I mean, that's usually like volunteer work, right? right? Yeah, I looked but, I looked it up and you can make like $19 an hour or something. I feel like it's a great job for her to be. It's perfect. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. She's paying I, it forward. It's a really great job. But yeah, I don't think you're you're paying for this house off of that. <laughs> But she pops on her headset and dials into her office line, asking to be patched into received calls, also referring to herself as Laura. Mm -hmm. She takes a call from a woman in an abusive relationship, and the music gets unexpectedly tense for absolutely no reason. Yeah, I was like, nothing. They're like, she listens to real shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So just to get something out of the way, according to the commentary, they only had Nev Campbell on set for 20 days. And so you notice starting now that she kind of takes a back seat. Yeah. Very, very much so. And to the detriment of the film, I'd say. Well, Sydney's the whole movie. Yeah. She's the whole point. So <laughs> I I did see that on IMDb. I was like, like well, now that you read it, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. It was, also, yeah, yeah. Also that her hair was a wig. For a lot of it, because yeah. Because she had drowning Mona hair. Yeah. At this time, because she was filming Drowning Mona, which I love Drowning Mona. That's that a fun movie. Funny as shit. Let's but... watch Drowning Mona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but we're then taken to a college assembly where Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, is closing out a speech to future journalists. 
if I may interject. Okay. We have to talk about these bangs. Mm. I'm not going to let you say one more word until we address these I bangs. I also... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's that lady? I was like, what is that? Uh, she had such great hair in yeah, the other two movies. I, I read that, you know, her and David Arquette were married at this time. Right. Which I wish they would have stayed married. Yeah, me too. It's upsetting. I don't know what happened in their house. I don't, but <laughs> I loved them. Um, he said, you should cut your hair like Betty Page for the new one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if her stylist had never seen Betty Page? <laughs> I don't know what happened She's like, here. Betty Page had fucked up hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, wait, no. <laughs> Just fuck my shit up. Yeah. <laughs> Say no more, babe. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's distracting. It yeah. is. In a lot of scenes, in when her hair's down, it's not as distracting, but when her hair's uh, back. There's a scene where her hair is down, and that is a fucking wig, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, then. Oh, Be- and it's not as bad because the bangs are longer uh, on that wig. Oh, okay, maybe Wes Craven's like, "What the fuck did you do?" <laughs> he came for one day. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> put no, no, that no, no. shit Just that one day. <laughs> But she's basically telling them to be ruthless and prepared for people to hate them if they want to be successful and famous. The speech ends with a ton of applause, but one student, played by Richmond Arquette... Hey! Yeah, it's... Uh, one of David's 8,000... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he asks her if that means they should go out and cut each other's throats, because that's what she did. She says, metaphorically, yes. But then the student asks if it was worth it, which earns a glare from Gail. And the moderator's like, all right, that's all we have time for. (laughs) Yeah, she shut it down quick. Yeah. And again, talking about these like just foregoing character arcs, because she wrote that book after Scream 1, but then she reunited with everyone. And and redeemed herself. And redeemed herself. But now she's like, no, I'm back to being horrible. No, we love bitchy Gail. (laughs) Everybody loves it. But the moderator tells her that a young police officer was asking to speak with her after the assembly, so she goes to meet up with him. We obviously have a person in mind, but instead, it turns out to be Detective Mark Kincaid, played by Patrick Dempsey. Kincaid breaks the news to her that Cotton Weary has been murdered, but says a photograph was left on his body at the murder scene. He says he'll share it with her, but if she shares it with anyone, it'll be her that he arrests. This is dumb to me because... I hate to call it dumb, that's mean, but... (laughs) Nothing is off the record with Gail Weathers. No. Right. That's kind of her shtick. Everybody knows that. Yeah. But she swears on her Pulitzer Prize that she plans to win someday that she won't tell anyone. (laughs) When Kincaid shows her the photograph, she recognizes it immediately. It's a photo of Maureen Prescott, Sydney's mother, when she was younger. So this means that this is whoever ghost faces this time is someone who knows the T. Like the original T. Yeah. Right now I'm like, okay, so it's someone older. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's where I'm going. But back at Sydney's house, while we're filling her dog's food bowl, she hears the news of Cotton's murder on television, saying that he had recently filmed a cameo for Stab 3, the third and final part of the in-universe film series based on the events of the first Scream films. We're getting pretty meta here, folks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this dude's just playing himself but in I, the yeah. movie? That was my question. He shot the cameo because it didn't sound like he no. did in the car. He's like, he was like saying yeah, that, he he, that he deserves yeah. more money or something. And now they're like, oh, no, he did no, that. No, he did it, yeah. <laughs> like, what? This is what I'm talking about because, and this is going to come up a lot. They were saying that they would be on set rewriting scenes in the film. <laughs> they would be up the night before writing scenes that they were going to shoot the next morning. Doesn't that mean, okay, let's shut down for a little bit yes. and then get our shit together? Yeah. And you had three fucking years. I'm because sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time. so incoherent. Yes. But 
When the reporter mentions that Cotton was exonerated for the murder of Maureen Prescott, Sydney shuts the TV off, understandably upset. Mm-hmm. In the next scene, at Sunrise Studios, where Stab 3 is being filmed, reporters are attempting to make their way onto the lot, but are held back by security. We also hear Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds playing. I feel like up until this point, it's like, are they going to do it? Yeah, yeah. Do it? <laughs> just fingers crossed. The interesting thing here is that this is a new version mm-hmm. of Red Right Hand that was recorded specifically for Scream 3. It's hilarious because the song, this version, has a lot of references to cities and lights and you can't trust anyone mm-hmm. and all that. But the last verse of the song has the lyric, <laughs> scream once. Scream twice. Now scream again. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just love that Nick Cave was clearly a fan of the franchise. (laughs) I doubt he saw the movie, this one. He's like, you can just use the old one. But But we see the security guard slide the massive door to Studio 16 closed before we're taken inside. We see a recreation of Stu's house from the first film, up to including the boat that Sydney crashed into when she fell out of the window, escaping from Ghostface. The camera then sweeps to a porch where various members of the cast are seated while Roman Bridger, the director of Stab 3, played by Scott Foley, begs a studio executive, played by Roger Corman, not to shut the film down. (laughs) Now, for those who don't know, Roger Corman is like a legendary Hollywood producer and director. He had a hand in kickstarting careers of countless people, Mm -hmm. like Martin Scorsese. Like, I mean, like... Good Lord, and he's here. Yeah. (laughs) I think if if on, really if you have a few hours to kill, go look up his filmography because he has over 400 projects as a producer alone. Damn! But he's here with one line. <laughs> <laughs> he says that the violence in cinema is a big deal right now, and they don't want this kind of publicity, which I feel like was true to life at this point. Right. I was gonna say that's literally Scream Three. Yeah, it might have been a note that was given to Wes Craven. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, this is in the script. Right? Yeah, we're putting that in. But John Milton, the film's producer, played by Lance Henriksen, says he's been making horror films for 30 years and never had a problem like this before. Roman then blames them for involving Cotton in the project at all, basically saying because of his past, he probably had a ton of enemies, so it's not the film's fault. I Doesn't he call him an ex-con or an ex-felon or something? Yeah. I don't feel... That's not accurate. No. no. A, and, and even if it was, B, people can't turn their fucking lives around? Yeah. B, yes. <laughs> I mean... And C, like, isn't he, like a Jerry Springer type person yeah. like yeah. A, a talk show or something like it's not like he's I don't know I just felt like that was not fair I don't see maybe a cotton in another script yeah was, <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of enemies that's fair but Milton calls out to the detectives who are walking by asking if the film had anything to do with cotton's murder detective Wallace played by Josh Pies puts it simply he was in a movie called stab he was stabbed <laughs> but <laughs> The line is so poorly enunciated. Right. I always I always thought he was saying Cotton was stab. I was like, yeah. he's So is that who you cameoed as? I am stab. <laughs> but elsewhere on the set, the cast is speculating on who could be responsible for Cotton's death. Tyson Fox, played by Dion Richmond, suggests it could be a psycho fan angry that Randy was killed in Stab 2. Which is obviously a nod to Randy Meeks being killed in Scream 2. Mm-hmm. I'm also angry that Randy was killed in Stab 2 and Scream 2. Yeah, but we didn't go fucking killing Cotton <laughs> Weary. Well, no, I, d- I didn't do that. I was six. <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah Darling, played by Jenny McCarthy, says that might mean that Tyson is next since his character is basically a Randy substitute. 
And then she's like, well, Cotton was probably vaccinated and that's why he died. No. Oh my God, I have vaccination jokes. <laughs> really? Hey, keep them going. She is a menace to public health, but she go ahead. <laughs> also, Sarah Darling. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these names aren't great. Tom Prince played by Matt Kiesler, who is the new actor playing Dewey in Sab 3, because it was David Schwimmer, if you recall. You're right, and uh, Tori Spelling. Exactly. But he says that and the murder... Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. happened? But he says that the murderer could be Sydney, considering she's gone off the grid since the events of Windsor College and Scream 2. He didn't put it like that. That's how I'm <laughs> putting it. <laughs> They're like, what? Like, I don't know what that means. But Angelina Tyler, played by Emily Mortimer, who is playing Sydney in Stab 3, says she does understand why Tori Spelling and David Schwimmer didn't want to come back for the sequel, which is that reference. <laughs> okay. But again, all these names are just annoying to me. You know, Tom uh, Prince. Clearly, I was like, we're yeah. talking about Freddie Prince Jr., and right? And Tom Cruise. And you've got Angelina Tyler, which is Angelina Jolie, and Liv Tyler. It's like, you're really not trying here with it's these like, names. That's what... It's almost like fan fiction-y to me. Yes. Because it's like, that's what I feel like a seven-year-old, if they were writing a story, they would they would do that. Yeah. D- two names from two things and that I like. Just smash them together. together. I, it's like a, a character in The Sims that you make. Like, it's not, hey, well, this is a movie. At least we missed out on Ben Damon. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the worst one. But also my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> But Sarah tries to calm the group down by quoting a line from the script, and Tyson says he basically can't afford to throw this job away. Angelina, the only one with a soul, says that she wants the movie to continue, but not at the expense of people's lives. Tom basically does the jerk-off hand motion without doing the (laughs) jerk-off hand motion. (laughs) We then see Gail arrive on set in awe of the recreated version of Sydney's house, but then she ruins the moment by calling it deja voodoo. No, oh, yeah, it's bad. Uh, I just want to say that I love her loud ass yellow power suit. It's everything. <laughs> Is that what that was? It's a power suit. Well, didn't I... she wear a lime green one? And she did. Scream? Oh, call her ranch because she'd be dressing. <laughs> uh, I thought she was like Curious George was somewhere behind her. <laughs> But Gail the hair, gets a sidekick in this yeah. film. <laughs> the hair is still the bang of my existence. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I can't get past it. But she activates a hidden camera in her purse. She barely makes it five feet before she's accosted by Jennifer Jolie, played by Parker Posey, who not only is playing her in Stab 3, but in my opinion, is the real star of the film. I'm so yeah. glad you said it because... I love her in this. Yes. She's so fucking funny to me. Mm-hmm. She was wasted in this film. Yeah. I think that's my thing is that they lean into too much of the comedy, but if they would have just let her handle that part. Yeah. She's so oh, funny. No, yeah. She is so goddamn hilarious <laughs> she's in this. so funny. Everything she says, and she's magnetic. Yeah. Anytime she's on screen, I'm like, well, I'm watching Parker yeah. Posey. Yeah. Also, Jennifer Jolie. Yeah, that's Jennifer you already, Aniston. You already used Angelina. They like yeah. her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But also present is her bodyguard, Stephen Stone, played by Patrick Warburton. David Putty. David Putty. The tick. What yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. That's all he is. It's just the tick. <laughs> I read on IMDb that this character was almost played by Stone Cold Steve Austin. No. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> that about sums it up. Yeah. So well. there we are. But they trade barbs back and forth, taking shots at each other's careers and relationship troubles before running into the man himself. Dewey Riley, played by David Arquette. Who we love. Yes. Um, but doesn't Gail say something about, 
I'm sorry, it didn't work out with Brad Pitt or something. Yeah. Where when? was this in the Jennifer Aniston Brad Pitt? I feel like you would know better than anyone. I should know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I, like they were still together in 2000. I think they had to be, right? Yeah. It's just, uh, that was odd to me. because yeah, I, I mean, and they named her Jennifer. Jolie. Jolie. <gasps> Holy shit. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Scream predicted it. Exactly, yeah. They're the new Simpsons with that shit. <laughs> but they're obviously surprised to see each other. But Dewey goes in on her a little bit, saying someone's been murdered, so obviously Gail comes running. Dewey stays salty. He yeah. does. Jennifer says Dewey has helped her connect to the real Gail, up to and including the lost little girl inside of her. Jennifer bails, which gives Dewey the opportunity to tell Gail that he's been hired as an advisor for the film. So... This is another strike for me because, again, all that character development from two with the two of them specifically right. coming together. And absolutely gone. Yeah. And we're just rehashing their old dynamic on a larger stage. You're yeah. totally right. Like it never happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've already done this. Can't we? How great would it be to get a film where they're in love? Teamed up. Teamed up. Because their dynamic is fantastic. Right. That I, I even I was like, this is a joke, right? I was like, what? <laughs> What's yeah. happening here? I don't know. Did uh, were we the only ones that watched the second I, movie? I, <laughs> They're like just for, <laughs> they right, just skipped the that, sequel. But yeah. I, <laughs> but Tom walks by, introducing himself to Gail, then confronting her about lies that she made up about a car accident he was recently in. So Gail's gonna Gail. Yeah, yeah everyone uh, fucking hates her. They dude. do. <laughs> but she also laughs when she realizes that Tom is playing Dewey, which kind of just felt out of place. I feel like. She's making fun of Dewey. Yeah, but I mean, like, you're here because fucking Cotton Weary's been murdered, and you're like, he's playing you? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but seriously, a murder happened. Like, what? But, she... but not only that, you were with him. Yeah. You talking? <laughs> what does that seriously. say about you? Yeah. She says that she didn't come here to fight, and she says that they should tell Sydney about Maureen's picture being left at the murder scene. They both have inside information from the police, we learn. But Dewey disagrees, saying that she doesn't need Gail's camera in her life at all. This is when Milton calls out, realizing that Gail Weathers, of all people, is on his set and has her escorted out. Dewey <laughs> facetiously says it was great catching up, but there's, <laughs> there is no way that she heard it. Yeah, She's outside the studio and he's like, but seriously, it was great catching up, that, Gail. That was for him. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to point out how she's literally holding her purse like it's a camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's not great at hiding it. Not the Gail that we've been led to believe <laughs> no. she is. But outside, Gail breezes past a guided tour of the studio and is accosted by Jay and Silent Bob, played by Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith in cameo roles. I want to make it clear mm -hmm. that it wasn't Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. No. It was Jay and, and Silent, Silent Bob. <laughs> the characters. And now, granted... We love these guys. Yeah. Because we got, we got a picture. Yeah, with them. we met them. Yeah. But you guys. We did. <laughs> I, yeah. It just, it's getting so far away from Scream. At the, I feel like it's already had strikes against it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is just kind of fucking silly. Yeah. When I saw them re watching it for the context of the show, mm -hmm. I was like, this is a joke. This whole thing yeah. is a joke. Yeah. Because are you going to say what he says? Yes, I okay. am. <laughs> He confuses her for that woman from the news, <laughs> Connie Chung, and he asks how Maury is, and she gives him the finger. Which is funny. Very right. funny. But this is green. Th you wanted me to this tell you. This is not uh, clerks. Here's my <laughs> <laughs> what I'm thinking is that this should be a scene that's on the cutting room floor 
for the cast to laugh at at, right. the, at the rap party. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally agree. There's no, this should not have been in this movie at all. And I love them. Yes. Let me be clear. This should not have been in this movie at all. And because of their involvement in this scene, you miss that Wes Craven is right behind them walking by. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see that at all. Yeah. Yeah. This... I was already dealing with like the <laughs> having the, but this like ruined it completely. Took me out of mm-hmm. the it movie. It does. It does. I was like, because these what are, is it's happening? It's not like maybe the actors would be on the right. Side. Right. This is them in character. Kevin Smith is oh, doing yeah. his looking yeah. around like not Silent speaking. Bob. It, they're in. It's Jay and Silent. I yeah. can't stress enough. It's, not, it's <laughs> not the actors. It's the characters. And there's another cameo later that would have oh, been really fucking cool, and they ruined that too. They yeah. did. I. And it is, I think, is necessary to point out that. Wes Craven also did a cameo in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. So I don't know if that was connect like them paying them back or whatever, you know. I can see uh, having them like walking in the background of a tour yeah. or having them Oh my god, was that yeah. rewind that oh, real quick. Wait yeah, a minute. Yeah. No, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back came out later. So no, never mind, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I can I mean I could even understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. But making it, making the t- <laughs> it in really character. got under my yeah. skin. No, did it really? I can't tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that night at Sydney's house, Sydney father Neil Prescott, played by Lawrence Hecht, is putting away groceries. Now her dad wants to come. Yeah. And be with <laughs> he doesn't realize there's danger, so he's like, "No, I'll be there." But Sydney asks if he ever thinks about Maureen and says that none of this would have happened if she hadn't have cheated on him. Sydney's clearly annoyed by her mother's secrets, and so Neil says that she should come home instead of being out here alone and living under a fake name. Sydney says that's the point. Psychos can't kill what they can't find. Little on the nose. <laughs> a little bit. I yeah. mean, we get it. You're out in seclusion. You have all these gates. You're using another name. You're working from home. We get it. Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like that was a little, <laughs> a bit much for me. And she already knows the cotton's dead. Yeah. So yeah. shouldn't she be on edge more? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, no, man. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the theme of yeah. this. I don't know. But later that night. The camera sweeps past Cherokee asleep on the floor to find Sydney asleep on the couch with a photo of her and her mother on the side table, the staging exactly the same from Scream, if you recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember that film? I do. <laughs> I do. Yes. I don't, I don't think the writer did, but <laughs> as fog creeps across the ground outside, eerie music plays, and we notice a woman in a white gown creaking open Sydney's gate. Sydney rises up from the couch to find a ghostly figure at her window. It's Maureen. She tells Sydney that everything she touches dies and she's just like her. Now there's fucking ghosts. (laughs) It's like, just throw everything at the wall. (laughs) But Maureen slowly dips out of view, her nails sliding down the window, leaving a small trail of blood. Sydney makes her way to the window as her mom asks, what have they done to me? And warns, they'll do it to you. When she gets to the window, Ghostface springs up, knife at the ready. Sydney wakes up from the obvious nightmare and Cherokee, probably pissed that she woke him up, walks away disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't care for this. I don't like any of this. No. I feel like we already she found out the whole situation with her mom and having a double life or whatnot. Mm-hmm. In the first movie. Right. This isn't new. No. I mean, I don't I think it well, n- you know, honestly, nothing yet has changed for Sydney as except far as cotton dying. what she knows about her mom, right. except yeah. cotton dying. You're right. So it's not like she has insider information that Gail and Dewey have 
to where she's now asking her dad You're these questions right. again. Yeah. Oh my God. You're right. Oh yeah. She doesn't even know. <laughs> she has no idea. So, and I, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that until just now, but the next day, Sarah arrives at the production offices and heads inside to look for Roman. She hears a noise and calls out to it. You know, again, the stuff the original Scream would satirize. Mm -hmm. Only for Tyson to jump out and jump scare her. They're doing a makeup test and he's got red scissors from us stabbed through his head. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess he dies too. Because didn't they say he's just like a Randy Randy, replacement? His name is Ricky. So she was right. So, yeah. Mm. (laughs) And why is Ghostface using scissors? I don't know. Forget it. Forget it. And can I just point out, if Dewey's an advisor on the film, why is it still so fucking disrespectful? You're right. You know? Like, shouldn't he be like keeping it grounded? Yeah, he really helped yeah. them with the sets because the yeah. sets are He's spot like, yeah, on. That looks yeah. exactly like Sydney's house. But yes, kill Randy with some scissors. <laughs> yeah. But she asks if he's seen Roman and he bails with the makeup artist as he tells her that everyone's gone for the day. She heads up to Roman's office and picks up one of his awards only to drop it and break it when the phone rings. I hope she acts better on stab than she did on screen <laughs> there's a line reading here that makes me cringe oh man well plus isn't that thing supposed to be metal how did yeah, it, how did, like it just, uh, how did it just off. you know i heard that a bad acting performance is a side effect of vaccines now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the person on the phone is roman and he apologizes for running late After Sarah complains about her role in the film, Roman suggests they run lines, which they do. Sarah gets annoyed that her scene begins with her showering, saying it's been done, attributing it to Hitchcock's vertigo instead of Psycho. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But they continue only for Sarah to call him out for reading the wrong line. Roman says it's the right line in his script. And so she calls him out saying, you know, how the fuck are we supposed to learn our lines when there's a new script every 15 minutes? And on commentary, Wes Craven's like, that's not far from the truth. Yeah, it's I feel like a lot of stuff that they did pertaining to stab three is mm-hmm. they're just talking about, about screen. Three. <laughs> yeah, which I think that's again where it hits where it misses the mark is it's almost like a showbiz satire instead of a horror satire. It, yeah. No, you're right. You know, because let's talk about horror trilogies more. Yeah, instead you know? of Hollywood. Yeah. Scream 3 is like, Holly, weird, am yeah. I right? <laughs> it's a lot of inside baseball that I'm like, I do not know this. Right. But he's running lines with her up until a certain point when he says something different, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. want to come back to that. Okay. But Roman tells her it's not only a new script, it's a new movie. His voice then changes to ghost faces, saying the movie is called Sarah Gets Skewered Like a Fucking Pig. So... Ghostface now has to be somebody who knows the T on Maureen from back in the day mm-hmm. and someone who has access to an actual script because he was running lines until that that point. Until right. that point. Mm-hmm. So we're narrowing down the <laughs> list of suspects. But after getting that message, Sarah understandably hangs up the phone. She's like, prank caller, prank caller. <laughs> But she rushes outside for the front door, but retreats when she sees a shadow approaching from the outside. She runs back to the hall, shutting herself in the wardrobe room. She hides between a dozen ghost face costumes on a cart, using her phone to call the studio instead of the police. Thank you. Call the fucking police. Can't you read? (laughs) Call the police. (laughs) But outside, we see that the shadow was, in fact, a security guard who just shuts off the light and leaves. Well, he hears a sound, Mm -hmm. looks down the hall... 
Not Turns my off job. Blindly. Yeah, he's like, uh, no, man. And then just leaves. That's you're it. You're doing a bang up job. Bitch. <laughs> Fantastic. Earning that paycheck. <laughs> Back in the wardrobe room, one of the costume turns out to be the real Ghostface, who steps off the cart and wheels it into a prop room. She tries to fight Ghostface with various props, only for them to fail, and Ghostface just slugs her in the mouth. She crashes through a glass window, and Ghostface finishes her off with a stab to the back. Again, barely any blood at all. Yeah. Like, period. Yeah. Later at a restaurant, Gail and Dewey are sitting together discussing what brought them to L.A. and arguing over the failings of their previous relationship. I feel like they should really see a counselor because there, <laughs> there was a lot here. Instead of just going for a coffee? Yeah. Which, by the way, I find it odd that after their first meeting, when did Gail get back to him and say, hey, let's meet for a coffee at this shop? He was just like, it was good seeing you. Very yeah, quiet. yeah, I don't feel like yeah. he would have even been open no. the way that he received her. Yeah. No. Okay. But we learn that she waited until he was healed up from his wounds and screamed too. That honestly probably should have killed him, but I'm glad they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And then she came here for a career opportunity on 60 Minutes 2, which didn't work out. But that was like the honeymoon phase. That was like when they were finally trying to make a go of it. And she's like, oh, you're not bleeding anymore? Well, I I got I'm going to be the next Barbara Walters. (laughs) I would say that 100% Cotton is a better name than 60 Minutes 2, but whatever. But she asks if he's only here because of Jennifer, the second-rate version of her, and he says, not everything is about you. Then, with barely any resistance, he just spills the beans off the record. A woman from the Stab production contacted the Woodsboro police for Sydney's file, and they declined. Shortly after, the file room was ransacked, but thankfully, Dewey had already removed the file. Long story short, he thinks someone in the production wants to find Sydney. Gail tries to start her tape recorder, but Dewey reminds her, hey, I just said... Off yeah. the record. Like, can you at least pretend? She's yeah. like, this is great shit. Yeah. Yeah, she, she is, literally. God. <laughs> but he gets paged, assuming by Jennifer, and he has to bail. We then see Dewey arriving at Jennifer's mansion with Gail parking right behind him. But Dewey and Gail head inside after a little bit of banter. Jennifer is very upset about the recent news, and Stone, her bodyguard, very plainly, almost David Putty fashion, says, Sarah's been killed. Just- <laughs> <laughs> But Dewey pieces it together. Cotton, then Sarah, they're being killed in the order that they die in the movie. When Gail asks who's next, Jennifer shakily hands her a script. Gail Weathers dies next. I just, I love when Gail walked in. Like, you just walked into this woman's house. You weren't part of this. (laughs) Weren't even invited. And uh, Jennifer looks at her and she goes, I'm with him. (laughs) That made me laugh out loud. But Dewey and Gail leave the house as Jennifer comically hops into Stone's arms. It's ridiculous. It is. <laughs> and also, what movie in their right mind would kill Gail Weathers? I don't... Well, Stab 3 was going to be a bad movie. And yeah. Stab was written by Gail. <laughs> well, I mean, the book. The book. Yeah. You know? And she's alive in real life. You're yeah. Right. I, I don't know. This movie was going to be trash. Yeah. <laughs> it's an alternate reality. But they head to a trailer on Jennifer's property, which, to Gail's disgust... Dewey has been living in. Dewey says that Jennifer sees him as her rock, then gives a long-winded, large-worded diss about Gail's inability to see that herself, which is very reminiscent of Scream 2. Yes, I love when he does that. It's funny to me every time. I feel like he has a knack for it. He He just It's great. (laughs) I'm like, go off, Dewey. (laughs) And Gail deserves it every time. She does. But on their way out, Dewey tells Stone that he's going to head to the crime scene, and Stone asserts his dominance, (laughs) calling him Dewdrop. Yes. (laughs) Which sounds more affectionate than antagonistic, yeah. but 
he basically tells him, you're a washed up cop. I'm a security guard with a pretty good list of celebrities I've guarded. And Dewey's just like, whatever, man. (laughs) (laughs) But at the crime scene itself, Kincaid and Wallace find another photo of Maureen. Kincaid compares Ghostface's toying with the cops to Hannibal Lecter and Seven and says in those movies, one of the cops usually doesn't make it. So I'm like, okay, this is another red herring to say maybe Kincaid is the killer. It was odd to me that they would call those I would not want this film to be compared to Silence of the Lambs or Seven. Not at all. Keep those way over there. Don't even look over here. And can can we talk about how it's not even really a reference if you're just name dropping a film? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Remember Seven, guys? I'm like, whatever. But the detectives are ambushed by Gail trying to get info on the crime scene. Wallace isn't down with it, but Kincaid defends her involvement and shows her the photos. Dewey rounds the corner and asks for increased security for Jennifer, but Kincaid counters with the fact that there are three different versions of the script, which means three different characters might die next, and they don't know which one the killer read. He also makes a crack about trying to avoid internet leaks, which scream too. Yeah. This film also wasn't screened for critics or the press because they were trying to avoid internet leaks. Or also, also yeah, <laughs> trying to avoid yeah, that's, that's why. bad reviews. Mm-hmm. But later on the set, Roman complains about how all the murders will set his career back. He also posits that he's next and shows off his broken award that Sarah dropped, assuming it's a message. That was funny. Yeah. That was pretty good. I just wanted to say really quick, um, he says something about how he wanted to make, what did he say, a, a romance or something? Mm-hmm. But they told him he had to make a horror movie first. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't sound right to me. Like, what what film company? Would, like, that doesn't right, make any right. sense. <laughs> so uh, I had looked it up, and that, I guess, is what happened to Wes Craven. He was trying to make the musical Music of the Heart, mm-hmm. and they were like, give us Scream 3 first. Why is he just and putting Mike? So, <laughs> I'm like, so is this movie a middle finger to I I don't know. Is that what this is? Mm. You want fucking scream three? I'll yeah. give you scream three, motherfucker. <laughs> is that like what is that what happened here? I don't know. Like, Maybe I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. But just then the detectives walk in asking Roman why he didn't tell them that Sarah was here to meet him. They've apparently confirmed it with Sarah's roommate and the security guard, and Roman claims you have no knowledge of it at all. They take him in for questioning, and Wallace is practicing his tight five. He's like, this is the scene where you come with us. It's pretty good. I laughed at that. Before they leave, though, Kincaid borrows Dewey's cell phone because he's out of battery, which, again, red herring. Yes. Jennifer is also like, Roman, remind me never to sleep with him again. It's like, you're a gym, and I love you, but... At Sydney's house, she receives a call at work from a distraught woman who claims to have murdered someone. Sydney encourages her to call the police, but then the voice suddenly sounds like Maureen. How'd they get Maureen's voice? Great question. Um, <laughs> I'm just, how? I don't know. Sydney then notices that the call is coming through her home line and not her office line. The voice then tells her to turn on the news and to do as mother tells her. Sydney switches it on. A reporter shares the news of the murders happening on the set of Stab 3, saying that the production has been shut down with those involved hoping that the killings may be over. The voice on the phone switches to Ghostface, who asks, Do you really think it's over, Sydney? She hangs up, though, and grabs a gun from her desk, looking out of her window and seeing nothing. I love how we just never address the fact that, you know, obviously this isn't still Billy and Stu, right? Right. Yeah. How are they doing the same voice? <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> Roger every- Jackson, yeah. Yes. Even in Stab, the film, it was Roger. 
Jackson. I don't know. I guess I don't know. that's like the default voice right, on of that the, little yeah. machine. Did they just describe it perfectly to Gail Weathers for her <laughs> yeah. book? I don't know. But that night at Jennifer's house, Stone patrols outside with a flashlight, while inside, Jennifer and Angelina are seated near Tom, who is drunkenly tearing pages out of the script while kind of shit talking him at the same time. It isn't Angelina like you're scaring me. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. He's ripping it, paper. Yeah, and it she, wasn't. It wasn't even that like harsh. He was no. just tearing. <laughs> he was literally just saying, "This is the scene where this happens," and she's like, "You're scaring yeah. me." <laughs> but he tells her to give the innocent act a rest. She leaves as Dewey walks in. Tom speculates that Angelina fought and clawed her way to get the part of Sydney, and Jennifer is like, so you asked her out and she said no, and Tom's like, that had nothing to do with it. (laughs) As Jennifer and Dewey leave to another room, Gail arrives at the house. Through a window, she sees the two of them talking and walking together. She slinks around like Catwoman, eavesdropping. She does, but like, where's Stone? She could have shot both of them by now. That's his whole job. (laughs) That's literally your job. But... She hears Jennifer talking shit. To be sure, she is. (laughs) But Dewey's actually defending her, saying that she has a good heart. We see a picture of Jennifer on set as Gail, and Dewey says that she looks just like her. Jennifer says it sounds like he's still in love with her, and that's when Dewey opens the septic tank. (laughs) (laughs) Mom always used to tell me, don't be snooping or eavesdropping unless you're prepared to hear something that you're not going to like. Mom is wise. (laughs) Because he's like, oh, I forgot to mention she's annoying. She's conniving. (laughs) She smells bad. He didn't say that, but he went off. He said everything but that. Pretty much. Just then, though, Stone finally doing his job snags Gail saying they don't need two Gail Weatherses, I don't know if that's plural, (laughs) at this house, and he brings her inside. Gail acts all hurt that Dewey was in Jennifer's bedroom, but Dewey takes her to the kitchen to talk in private. Gail says that the police released Roman because the calls to Sarah did not come from his cell phone, rather a cloned, untraceable cell phone. But Gail pulls out the photo of Maureen Prescott, claiming there's no record of her at this age. Two years before she married Sydney's father, she left Woodsboro, and it's like she fell into a black hole. But when Dewey sees the second photo of Maureen, a light bulb goes off in his head, and he takes her back into Jennifer's bedroom. Dewey shows her the photo that we just saw of Jennifer as Gail and compares it to the photo of Maureen. They're both standing in front of the exact same building 28 years apart, which means that Maureen was at Sunrise Studios in Hollywood. It's the exact same building, and they're framed the exact same way. they are. And I feel like this would be a little more like, okay, go Dewey if we hadn't just seen this photo literally 30 seconds ago. (laughs) It's barely been introduced to him. But then at this point, I'm like, well, who took this photo? That's the first thing I would ask because it's exact same framing. It's literally the same. Instead, all they get out of it was she was here. (laughs) (laughs) But Dewey rushes off to make some calls. Outside, Stone makes his way into Dewey's trailer and his cell phone rings. He picks it up and it's Dewey telling him to come inside to look after Jennifer because he has to head to the police station. Stone doesn't take too kindly to taking orders from Dewdrop Riley and (laughs) (laughs) continues rummaging through his stuff, including a picture of Dewey and Gail. Was this before or after he stole Dewey's change? (laughs) He did do that. (laughs) What the fuck? That was just, that's just Uh, a dick move. There's no need. That's a tick, man. (laughs) Doing him dirty, but... Stone says that he's checking the trailer to make sure there's no killer in here waiting to off him like he did Tatum. Dewey's like, why would you say that? Then he goes all Incredible Hulk. (laughs) Saying, yeah, it makes me. Suddenly, Ghostface jumps out, finishing the sentence, angry. Again, 
another instance of Ghostface speaking on the phone to the person mm-hmm. a foot away. Yeah, he's yeah. like hiding behind the. <laughs> is he curtain. in the shower? It's a trailer. It's not that big. No, it's not. But he didn't hear him. But he does stab Stone in the back. <laughs> <laughs> you would think he's security. Mm-hmm. Bulletproof vest, something. something, something, especially when right? you're not just regular security. No, yeah. Y'all are on like high alert. Well, and he already threw out his resume of people he worked for. Yeah, maybe he's floppy just... workstone. Yeah, or he's got an ego. He's like, I don't need that shit. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> Stephen fucking Stone. But a short fight ensues with Ghostface pushing Stone against the wall, driving the knife further into his back, and then he starts cooking up an ass whooping with a frying pan. Cooking. <laughs> It's <laughs> funny. Thank you. <laughs> but he bails after Stone appears to be dead. Inside the house, Dewey heads into the living room with Gale saying he needs to call Kincaid. Just after Gale realizes that they're all alone in the house, the front door swings open on its own in a jump scare and Dewey draws his gun. Jennifer, Tom, and Angelina join them in the living room, each receiving their own jump scare and Dewey draws his gun on each of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very like, Dewey. Yeah. yeah, but maybe you shouldn't have this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, through the open door, the group sees Stone stumble into the driveway. He groans and gurgles through the blood, pointing at his cell phone before collapsing dead. He was like, dude, I was just talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> this man is like bleeding, like he's uh-huh. dying. And I feel like everyone's <laughs> reaction was very tame. Someone <laughs> goes, oh, God, Stone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like, you got to clean that shirt. Oh, shit. <laughs> but the group hears some rustling in the bushes, prompting Dewey to tell everyone to run back inside. Just as he tells them not to panic, all the lights go out, causing them to panic. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Dewey then rushes everyone outside, only for them to hear the fax machine printing out a page, so they all rush back inside. Now, it should be noted, they did talk on commentary that this, a lot of people are like, well, that's a continuity error. The power just went out. Why is the fax machine working? That was my note. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wes Craven said, if you notice, there's a green light there, which is the generator power. All right, Wes. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he's just making that up. (laughs) Everyone's like, yeah, everyone knows generators have green lights. Duh. Never heard that in my life. But why did nothing else kick on or any backup lights? (laughs) Great question. So maybe he doesn't know what he's (laughs) like. I don't know. But Jennifer snags the page, reading it aloud with the help of a flashlight. I love her frantic performance in this section. Yes. She's so goddamn good. I can't say that enough. But it reads like a screenplay describing exactly what just happened to the group up to and including the page printing out of the fax machine. I'm like, they're really... This is... Chill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Chill out. Interestingly, the fax also states that the killer is outside and that he'll grant mercy to one of them. The group bickers as the fax machine prints out another page, which ends in a cliffhanger, not naming the lucky survivor. Dewey and Gail rush the group outside, which annoys Jennifer, who wants to know what happens. Gail tells her to wait for the fucking movie, which, all right. (laughs) I mean. That was a choice. Yeah. Another page prints out, though, and Tom runs back inside to read it. It says the killer will grant mercy to whoever, and he can't read the rest. He snags a lighter from the kitchen, finally revealing that the killer will grant mercy to whoever smells the gas. Just then, Jennifer's entire mansion explodes in a ball of fire, killing Tom and sending the rest of the group tumbling down an adjacent hill. Really? Yeah. Is that all we got? That's all I got. Um, You hear Jennifer screaming, I can't stop rolling down this hill. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which, I mean, they really don't want you to be scared, right? <laughs> That's painful. Sidebar on the commentary. <laughs> the house was real, and it was rented from a producer who rents out his house to productions, but mm. the explosion was a quarter scale model. Oh. So <laughs> no no houses were harmed in the making. <laughs> but Dewey slowly stands up after his tumble, calling out to Gail and Jennifer. They call out in unison, but on opposite sides. Once he gets to a clearing, he sees Gail at the bottom, standing in front of a van. Suddenly, Ghostface reveals himself, knife drawn and going after Gail. Dewey shoots him a few times, and he jumps back against the vehicle before rolling under it. Now... The shots do not line up with his jumps. It's it's very poorly choreographed. No, no, it doesn't. You and, notice that too? Yes. And Dewey, <laughs> it's like he gets shot because he flies backwards. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't get that at all. There, it makes like, is that supposed to be the kickback from the gun? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just look upset. I was like, why did, why did you make this movie? That's... <laughs> What? Why did he fall? I don't know. What? Well, I think because he's Dewey Riley. Yeah, yeah he can't. He can't do something all. heroic. It no. has to be. Yeah, he shot the bad guy, but he also fell down the hill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he does fall down the hill, though. <laughs> Meeting Gail at the bottom, but Ghostface is gone. Gail thanks Dewey for saving her, and they almost kiss, only for Jennifer to pop out, offended that he didn't save her. Instead, she is paying him. The killer's still around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I guess they're a bigger... Why are we doing this right now? I don't know. But she slugs Dewey in the face, and Gail, who knows how much it sucks to be punched in the face <laughs> two films in a row, slugs her right back. She falls to the ground, snapping back at her with the immortal line, my lawyer liked that, which was improv by Parker Posey. She's just great. She is. I love it. Just then, Angelina rustles out of the bushes herself in shock that Tom was still in the house. The group treats her with an odd suspicion as if she's somehow Ghostface. <laughs> they were like, how'd you end up all the way yeah. over there? It was yeah. like 10 feet difference. I don't understand. <laughs> Some of the red herrings aren't. No, because yeah. we're all on this side. Because <laughs> I, I feel like a couple of times they tried to make her seem like she was out of pocket or whatever. Yeah. But it was like, come on. Not, we no. talked yeah. about the different there was supposedly, you know, different endings or whatever. Yeah. I feel like there had to be an ending where Angelina was ghost face because it's so heavy handed yeah. at some points, even when it doesn't make sense for it to be. <laughs> no. Yeah. I will tell you that I did read that there was an ending where Angelina was the accomplice of Ghostface. I fucking knew it. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. After a spoiler alert, she is not. <laughs> she <ain't> Ghostface. <laughs> yeah, she's not the killer in this film. But that was their original idea, and the studio rejected it. Good. Then, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fine. Go back and take out the shit no, from yeah. when she was gonna be. Why yeah. would you because still leave this it doesn't in there? Make, this doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But as sirens wail in the background, Dewey finds another picture of Maureen Prescott on the ground, and on the back it reads, I killed her. So dude gets shot in the chest, Bulletproof vest Se or not? Several times. Leaves yeah. a calling card as he rolls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he like rolled <laughs> he under did, yeah. roll. <laughs> It's fucking hilarious. I just don't understand, but... I can go try to roll out there under a car right now. It's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> In the next scene, Kincaid drives the point home to Dewey and Gale that he needs to speak to Sydney. 
He says that even though Billy and Stu took credit for killing Maureen Prescott during their villain monologue in the first film, again, he doesn't use those words, but (laughs) this recent note could mean that there was a third killer. He lightly threatened Stewie to spill the beans on Sydney's whereabouts, though, and on commentary, they said Patrick Dempsey got his lines that morning. Oh, my God. And he does well. I mean, he does a good job. He does. It's up until now in this movie, I've been like, it's pretty cringy and annoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is when I started to get mad at yeah. the film because <laughs> don't rewrite shit. Right. You know what I mean? No, don't, yeah. There was not a third killer. There was, no. it was Billy and Stu. Yeah. Case closed. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't. And, and then this I'm, is also, I'm sorry. This is also when I started to feel gaslit because Gail is in a fucking wig. It is, a, <laughs> it is jet black yeah. and the bangs are hey, longer. Well, let me tell you because I heard on commentary that David Arquette and Courtney Cox had just gotten back from their honeymoon. This yes. is one of their first days on set. And if you notice, they both are very They're tan. They're tan as fuck. <laughs> and, and Wes Craven seemed a little annoyed. He said there was nothing we could do about it. Well, yeah. What do you... <laughs> I feel like this scene, it's almost a throwaway scene. I mean, I guess it's important, but this changed a lot yeah. for me. Because I was like, A, now I'm pissed. B, uh-huh. Am I, have I been drugged? Like this, yeah. They look different. I'm like, what is, what's happening? And I'm sorry, but if there was a third killer, Billy and Stu were insanely telling them everything. everything. Yeah. They wouldn't say, and here's who put us up to it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. But Dewey makes his way to the lobby to call Sydney, getting her answering machine. In the background, we see someone walk into the police station and we hear some sappy strings in the score. Dewey looks over, then gets off the phone, realizing it's Sydney. No, Dewey. It's, no, it's so bad. <laughs> Dewey looks at her. Directly at her. Turns back and keeps talking on the phone, and then, what? Yeah. Looks at her again. It's <laughs> like, you couldn't get a better take of him being surprised. <laughs> no. Because he looked directly at her. Yeah. But they embrace, and she asks how he is, considering that he looks beat the fuck up. He did roll down a hill. He did. Yeah. And I feel like she wore this exact same outfit in Scream 2. She did. Yeah. <gasps> because um, if you notice that she's wearing I know the, the necklace. The, the, yeah, green yeah. letters, but like the jacket. I was like, yeah. y'all just still had that on set. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're like, we only have it for 20 days. We don't have time for a new wardrobe. <laughs> but Dewey says he's fine, as is Gail. Sydney asks about Kincaid, and Dewey tells her that it's not safe for her to be here. She drops the bomb that the killer called her, and she's no safer in hiding. At least here, she's not alone. He takes her to meet Kincaid and reunite with Gail, who gives her a very awkward hug. They're like, yeah, are we cool now? Yeah, you know, and what sucks is that if this was after Scream 2, they would have just hugged. Yep. Because, I mean... Yeah. No, we hate Gail again. Apparently, yeah. yeah, We just forget everything we've learned. But they posit that the killer could have gotten Sydney's number from Dewey's phone via a scanner. Also noted is the fact that Jennifer and Kincaid have used Dewey's cell phone. So it was Kincaid. Yes, another red herring. And I'm sorry, but are we really trying to say that, I guess because Ghostface rolled out of sight and then Jennifer walked up, she could be the killer too? Sure. All right. Mm -hmm. But Sydney notices the pictures of Maureen on the wall and makes her way over. Kincaid and Gail explain that the killer has been leaving them at crime scenes. And although Sydney doesn't understand the significance of them, she asks to see the places in the pictures. So in the next scene, they arrive at Sunrise Studios. 
Kincaid tells Wallace to keep an eye on Sydney before speeding off with Wallace insinuating that Kincaid has a crush. And I'm like, this is not the time for this. It's not. And I feel like they kind of tried to shoehorn that in there. Was it just me? No, No, it wasn't. Because it's kind of later on. It's not explicit, but it's like, why are y'all doing this? this? That's not what this is. I don't know why we're trying to set up a love interest for Sydney in this film. No. She doesn't yeah, need don't one. Force no. There's, and it, and it's it unnecessary. Feels, yeah. It feels forced. But Dewey points to a staircase as one of the places in Maureen's photos, which just so happens to lead to the production offices of Stab 3. Just then, Martha Meeks, Randy's younger sister, played by Heather Monterazzo, pops out of a door of an adjacent trailer. Why is she at the studio? I don't know. And why, that, why are you here? How did she get on the property? Mm-hmm. But, I used to know Dewey and Gail. Okay, cool. They d- <laughs> who the fuck is Dewey and Gail? See, here, here's the thing. The cops overreact, but are quickly chilled out. And Martha holds up a videotape and says that there's something they need to see. But during this conversation, they ask her what she's doing here. And she literally never answers that question. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's, that's in the yeah. Script. yeah. They told me to call time was nine. What the... <laughs> Also, uh, isn't Gail like, don't tell me that's his ex-girlfriend or something? Yeah, about yeah. Dewey. She, she's 17 years old. Well, I guess you didn't know that looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But I think to that point, to drive it home further, even if Martha was here as an advisor for the film, her brother died in the previous film and was probably killed off in a way that was not respectful at all yeah Yeah. so if you're gonna give that excuse as to the reason why she's here that doesn't make sense either but dewey is a technical advisor so he would know he would be like what are you doing here exactly did they hire her yesterday it it makes no fucking (laughs) sense if anything it would have been a phone call can we meet up i Mm -hmm. have to tell it it would it makes no sense no (laughs) (laughs) but and this is what sucks because this when i was a kid led to one of my favorite parts of the film yeah i uh texted you mm-hmm. and was like there's something about this film that i used to love and now i'm just mad like it just made me mad i'm guessing it's right now okay yes <laughs> because we're then treated to a videotape from the man himself randy meeks played by jamie kennedy in a cameo role randy says that if they're watching this then he didn't survive the murders at windsor college and scream too then we get some jokes about him losing his virginity, which didn't help his chances of survival. And he's also interrupted by his roommate before getting down to the nitty gritty, the rules for surviving a trilogy. Dewey gets his notepad ready. <laughs> <laughs> Rule one, you have a killer that's going to be superhuman. He says stabbing him won't work, shooting him won't work. You're going to have to like fucking explode him, basically. Rule number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. That means you, Sid, he says. Rule three. The past will come back to bite you in the ass. This rule leaves Sydney and Gail looking very uneasy. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. Gail's like, I fucked up bad. <laughs> <laughs> but in closing, Randy wishes them luck, but somberly says that some may join him. The tape gives way to static. This is an insult. Um, I used to love this because it's Randy. I love right, right. Randy. Mm-hmm. You can't have it both ways. No. You can't kill him. Let's be honest. For no reason. Yeah. And scream too. Yeah. I think that was just shock value. And still have him come back to tell you the rules like he's done for the sequel, like he did for <laughs> yeah. the original. Like, yeah, we love that. And yeah, I loved it up until watching it this time. You can't you can't have it both ways. And Ran- would Randy even do this? 
I don't think I feel like they were too preoccupied with what was going on. Yeah. The murders that Windsor yeah. like yeah. <laughs> you were in you were in the thick of it. He's like, by the way, if I don't make it, I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah. and make a videotape. And then it took her this entire time to I don't know. I Right. Oh yeah, and then it seemed like he was just explaining the rules to them before he died in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's he like, was just he's like, now that I'm thinking about yeah. it, just, yeah. just if in this case this happens, happens again. again. Yeah. <laughs> I and it sucks because again I loved this so much when I was a kid and they even said in the commentary that they thought about bringing Randy back alive and that he had survived somehow mm-hmm. and I guess his family nursed him back to health but they said that they couldn't really do it in a way that made any sense then you shouldn't have done this either I'm sorry yeah no yeah I'm sorry this it's a cop out you it's know, just it, a cop out. Yeah. Damn, we shouldn't have killed Randy. You know what? Let's, Maybe he yeah. made a vi- like it. It that's not. You know, all who all, fucking does. I'm sorry. All <laughs> it is is they think that this is going to be the last film in the series. So let's bring Randy. Let's bring back. everyone back. Yeah. We loved Randy. We love Jamie Kennedy. The audience is going to want to see him, which I like seeing Randy. Of course, but. You know, I'm just making guttural noises now yeah. because that's all, that's that's all there is. To say. Yeah. But they say goodbye to Martha, who walks away without, again, ever explaining why the fuck she was here in the first place. <laughs> um, cool 90s yellow glasses. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fucking unnecessary scene. Unnecessary character. Unnecessary. Cut, cut all this shit. <laughs> this movie is too fucking long to begin no, with. It is. it is. It's very long. And Strike we, this from the record. <laughs> <laughs> we had the same problem with Scream 2. It did yeah. not justify its length. No. But Gail bails shortly after saying that she works better alone and tells Dewey and Sydney to try and figure out where the other pictures were taken. Now, we just got the gang back together. Let's split them up. Yep. One of the best things about Scream and Scream 2 was the dynamic of these three characters together. We just saw it for like a minute. Yeah, let's yeah. ruin it. <laughs> but we see Gail unsuccessfully try to get into the Sunrise Studio archives, only for Jennifer to tap her on the shoulder and jump scare the shit out of her. Jennifer gives her the skinny. She has no house, no bodyguard, no movie, and she's being stalked because someone wants to kill Gail. So the deal is she's going to stick close to Gail. So if the killer wants to kill her, she'll be with Gail. So since the killer really wants to kill Gail, they won't kill Jennifer. They'll kill Gail. I love love this so much. Like she delivers these rapid fire lines like it's the funniest fucking thing. I love it. I also it's funny to me because when I watched this when I was a kid, mm-hmm. she was so obsessed with Gail and loved Gail yeah. so much that she wanted to help her out. That is not what's happening here. Yeah, Dude, no. not at all. It was like maybe because no. I loved Gail so much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she probably loves her too. No. Nuh-uh. No. No. She's like, I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> but they quip a bit back and forth with Jennifer eventually using her key card to let them into the archives saying Gail Weathers would find a way. So, as I said, the dynamic of the three, but this dynamic is actually really good. It is so good. Like, they're so funny together, both Mm -hmm. of them. Yes. They slink down a staircase as some stereotypical sleuth music plays. (laughs) They stumble into Bianca Burnett, the archivist played by the late, great Carrie Fisher. Gail shows her the photo of Maureen Prescott slash Roberts, which I guess was her maiden name. Mm -hmm. But she and Jennifer, without saying it exactly tell her that she looks just like Carrie Fisher. Bianca says that she was actually up for the part of Princess Leia, but the part went to the one who slept with George Lucas. This was... I I love Carrie Fisher. I think everyone fucking loves well, Carrie yeah. Fisher. Absolutely. It was, oh shit, when you see her. How uh-huh. fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. That's Carrie Fisher. Don't talk about it. No. That's, Don't 
This is fan fiction. Yeah. That's how you ruin a cameo. Carrie Fisher is talking shit about Carrie Fisher. And I know that should be funny. It's not funny. It wasn't funny to me. It was... Y'all made Carrie Fisher do this? That's how I felt. Yeah, no, yes. One thing I did hear on the commentary was that Carrie Fisher rewrote this scene. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what she wanted. (laughs) I don't know. A lot of people don't know this, but she was a very prolific uh, script doctor. No, she's amazing. She rewrote a lot of scripts in Hollywood and did not get any credit for it. But they press on. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's the best she could do with what the shit they had given them. Maybe. Well, hey, maybe what they had was worse. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. She's like, I, I could try She's to like, fix it. Let me no, fix if that she changed quick. it to this, it had to be worse. After Gail's pathetic attempt at a bribe of $50 for information, I love Jennifer's like, what are you, a reporter <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> Woodsboro High? <laughs> Jennifer dramatically takes off a ring worth two grand and Bianca t- just takes them into the archives. Yeah. She's going to help Gail Weathers or not. I love it. <laughs> Bianca shows them a file on Maureen under the stage name Rena Reynolds. Wes Craven pointed out that Bianca is already wearing the ring that Jennifer just gave her. <laughs> That's funny. But they find a list of credits, mostly B-horror movies produced by John Milton, coincidentally the producer of Stab 3. Mm-hmm. As Wallace and Dewey suspiciously eye each other outside for some reason, <laughs> like, I don't know. Sydney calms herself in the bathroom, splashing cold water on her face. This is when we get a really good shot of that Greek necklace from Scream yeah. 2. She hears a creak behind her, though, and peeks under the stall to see a pair of black boots ascend out of sight onto a toilet. Of course, very similar to Scream. The first one, yeah. yeah. Sid, taking way less shit these days, grabs her pepper spray and just kicks the door open. She finds Angelina, who drops a bunch of shit, including a ghost face mask and a cell phone. Bitch, this is suspicious. Yeah, Why are you standing on the toilet? I don't. There's no reason. Why are you reason. doing that? <laughs> well, I mean, she's stealing memorabilia. Why are you standing on a toilet? So people don't find her stealing shit. <laughs> I don't know. God. It's not an answer. I don't know, dude. But she tells Sydney that she's starstruck when she recognizes her, and she says that she was supposed to play her in Stab Three. Sydney helps her collect her suspicious souvenirs, and Angelina says that she wanted to make Sydney proud. Sydney says that she's sure she would have been, and then Angelina just kind of scurries away out of the bathroom. <laughs> Unfortunately, Sydney notices that she left a brush behind and heads out the door after her, but she's nowhere in sight. So, <laughs> <laughs> the bathroom she's using mm-hmm. looks like it's in another building. Yeah, that I yeah. was confused too. With like a too. soundproof blanket covering the entrance. Mm-hmm. Why would you use that bathroom? I, I don't confused. know. <laughs> I was confused too. Like you had to walk over there. Mm-hmm. So you've seen what it looked like and how covered it was. And the thing is, is that the production of Stab 3 is closed down. So she oh, shouldn't yeah. be allowed on set at all. <laughs> just because she's Sydney Prescott. No, yeah. But in her search for Angelina, Sydney does stumble upon the set of Stab 3. My uh, next note was exactly what you just said. Mm. Wasn't production shut down? Yes. The lights are on uh-huh. on this set. Everything is dressed. Was Sydney the set dresser? Because, (laughs) (laughs) holy shit. She was here for work. But why is she wandering around if somebody's looking for her? Why are you off on your own? Just I, I think she was she was looking for Angelina and then she just gets distracted. It's my house. Yeah, because she well, sees her that's house. That's why I'm like, was she the set dresser? Because this is literally her house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, down to, well, we'll get to something uh, in a second. <laughs> but yes. dramatic music plays as she stands in front of the recreation of Woodsboro. We see her relive various moments from the first film. Looking around, you see Tatum's death scene, 
up to and including the smashed beer bottles on the ground. Yeah. Like they did a pretty good job of recreating it. And I did read that all the sets from Scream were destroyed after the filming wrapped. And so they had to rebuild them for this. They did an excellent job. It looks looks just identical. We then see her walking into a set of her bedroom, complete with a sign that reads Sydney's room hot set. We hear archival audio of Billy Loomis's voice from the first film as she walks down memory lane. That's when we see the Creed poster. <laughs> I was waiting on someone to say it. That definitely was not in the first film. But as the echo of their conversation about sex from the first film plays out, Sydney finishes the line out loud. Would you settle for a PG-13 relationship? Suddenly, Sydney hears a door open elsewhere in the studio and looks out the window, but sees nothing but craft services. Again, the production's been shut down. This is all probably yeah. moldy and yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> but just then, the door to her room swings shut. With the pepper spray at the ready, she heads to the door, but instead opens up an adjacent closet. She rigs up the door to block the bedroom door from opening, just like she did in the first film mm-hmm. when Ghostface was on her ass up the stairs. Yeah. She's like, this is my fucking yeah, room. I, I know <laughs> what to do. Don't. <laughs> she backs up to the window, fear finally setting in. A breeze moves both doors when suddenly Ghostface appears behind her, smashing through the window and pulling her out. So much for subtlety. Yeah, not so much. They crash through that craft services table with trail mix and puffy Cheetos going everywhere. (laughs) But she punches Ghostface right in the mouth and makes a break for it, calling out to Dewey. She heads back into the house, closing the front door, only for Ghostface to burst out of the closet like he did in the first film. I don't know how he got back inside so quick. Good question. So Would make sense if there were two of them. True. And again, yes. <laughs> <laughs> true and yes. And yes. But the thing is, is that the way that he knows his way around the set only furthers this idea that it has to be not just someone involved with the production, but someone who is there day to day. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're kind of narrowing down our red herrings. And also, again, someone who knows about Maureen. Yes. And someone who knows that this exact thing happened in Scream 1. Yeah. 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 So it was Kevin Williamson. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But a chase ensues up the stairs with Sydney rolling all kinds of obstacles in his way. She bursts through a door, but it opens to a 10-foot drop down to the set of another bedroom. It's like the fucking Winchester house. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was like, now you want to act like a set? Because this has been like a real <laughs> no, house. Yeah, Seriously. <laughs> no joke. But Sydney perches on the set wall, and when Ghostface comes through the door, she throws him down onto the bed below. She runs back to the staircase, anticipating his arrival and calling out for Dewey again. Suddenly, she hears her mother's voice calling out to her from an adjacent bedroom, saying that she'll protect her. She walks into the room and it's staged like Maureen's murder scene, I guess, that we never saw in Scream. Yeah, I guess it was like a revisit, like a flashback in the yeah. movie. Yeah. It's complete with bloodstained walls and a body on the floor covered in a sheet. Maureen's voice says she lied and that she can't protect her at all. We hear Billy and Stu's voices from the first film talking shit about Maureen and her sextracurricular activities, if you will. <laughs> Sydney backs into a window, calling out for Dewey again, but just then, Maureen rises up like a sheet ghost, telling Sydney to give her mother a kiss and they'll make up. Sydney promptly falls out the window. <laughs> I'm like, is she delusional? What is happening right now? See, and on commentary, Wes Craven was talking about how they wanted to give the audience the idea that she could be losing it. So what was really happening, though? Was this ghost face doing this? We'll talk. Oh, because 
I'm sure you're tired, but... (laughs) (laughs) But after she hits the ground with a pretty harsh thud, the lights come on and Dewey, Wallace, and a couple of unnamed officers run in. Sydney tells Dewey everything. The killer was here, she saw Maureen, and even heard her voice. I don't like her Billy Ray Cyrus hair in this little... I was like, oh my God. I was like, what's happening with their hair? I was I, like, this was the wig. Yeah. Right, right now. Well, there, it depends because at some points it's not because you can tell her hair is black and then her hair is brown. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I. And I love her, but. I didn't mind this geez. cut. I didn't mind it. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it looks fine. Sometimes no, yeah, it does not. Sometime, yeah. Sometimes it's like, it does. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know. Well, agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> But Dewey apologizes just as Kincaid, Angelina, and Tyson walk in. Wallace and the boys check the house but find nothing. Dewey and Kincaid take Sydney outside. Now, we've already hinted at it. I don't like this ghost bullshit. At all. I don't either. Like when it was just a nightmare, I was like, this has never been that type of movie. This is not this type of franchise. Don't pepper it in now. Mm-hmm. On the last one? I, why? Yeah, you've already no. <laughs> <laughs> You've already demonstrated what you are. No, yeah. Well, they didn't feel the need to stick to any of that any not. of the rest of it, so. Oh. No, and their strengths It's a ghost story now. <laughs> the strengths are satire. Yeah. And slashing. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't get And either. we don't get either. <laughs> but Wallace interrogates Angelina and Tyson for stealing the ghost face mask. Tyson's like, "Don't look at me. I didn't take shit." Which was yep. an improv line. <laughs> it's like, let's be clear. Sydney pleads with Kincaid, telling him that she's certain she saw him right there in Woodsboro. Kincaid's like, Sydney, that's not Woodsboro. Like, she's you, an insane... Like, yeah. you fucking know. You know what the fuck I mean. And she says that. She's like, you know what I mean, motherfucker. <laughs> she didn't say that, but Kincaid she says... Should've. She should have. Kincaid says that they're going to take her back to the station and put her under watch or in a safe house. Dewey tells her that they all believe her as she and Kincaid get into the car. And then he cryptically says, he's watching you and he wants you. It's like, what are you doing, dude? I literally wrote that line in my notes because I was like, that is the fucking opposite of what you should be doing. You're supposed to be chilling her out. Instead, you're doing this. That's just not. Sydney, he's probably going to kill you. Yeah. I'm just, just keeping it real. Kincaid does drive them away just as Gail and Jennifer approach Dewey with a photo of Maureen as Rena Reynolds, and they tell him everything they've learned from Bianca. Maureen was an actress who was in three horror films produced by John Milton. In the next scene, we're in Milton's swanky-ass office with a great view, mm-hmm. and he tries to calm Roman down. Roman says no one's going to want to work with him after everything that's happened, but Milton says, you know, actually, it could be good for your mystique. And he's like, you think so? I just, I love that he made the murder of these people about him. He's yeah. been doing that. Yeah. It's like so that's, annoying. That's his entire character. But before they can finish their conversation, Dewey, Gail, and Jennifer bust in. Milton asks why they're here. And Gail just says, Rena Reynolds. Roman's like, who? But Milton kindly tells him to head back to his house and cut the cake without him. Because as it turns out, today is Roman's birthday. After Roman leaves, Milton acts completely oblivious, saying, you know how many actors have worked for me? But Gail, in full Columbo mode, says that she never said that Rena Reynolds was an actor. Gotcha, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Only after Dewey threatens to call Kincaid does Milton start playing ball, spilling info that we already know. After Jennifer gets a little dramatic with the interrogation, which I love, <laughs> you're obsessed with her and you're obsessed with her daughter. Yeah. It's, it's so good. But... 
she says that she's basically he's basically profited off of Maureen's murder this right. whole time. And he has. But Milton says the studio came to him with stab, not the other way around. But he says during production of the first film, he realized who she was, but didn't say anything because of the press that it could attract. When Gail threatens to dig up the past on national TV, he finally completely spills the beans. In the 1970s, when he knew her as Rena, she came to a party at his house. Parties known for places where women could meet men who could help them in the business if they, quote, made the right impression, unquote. But he says that things got out of hand. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, this is very uncomfortable knowing Harvey Weinstein produced this film. I was going to say Harvey Weinstein. I mean, Milton was (laughs) a real piece of shit. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, that was. I didn't. Obviously, you're not. I mean, I was a kid when I used to watch the shit out of this. I didn't know what the fuck any of this meant. No, me neither. This is disgusting. Of course. Like, I don't know. It like bothered me especially the way that they interpret it later i paused the movie and said this is problematic i was like this is not absolutely now the thing that really gets me is that they treated harvey weinstein like a poorly kept secret yeah everybody knew about it but nobody did anything about it so is this wes craven and aaron Kruger kind of pointing a finger at him doing something slyly without doing anything but would he have the power to be like no you're not we're not doing this or you're not putting well, that in there he could but i mean he was a fucking weirdo yeah he might have been like yeah cool man <laughs> yeah that's, yeah. What, that's what producers are supposed to do uh, or whatever uh, fuck you harvey weinstein i have bile in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> but milton says it's possible that she was taken advantage of but no charges were brought He says Hollywood isn't a city for innocence, and if you want to get ahead, you have to play the game or go home. Fuck you. Fuck Milton. Yeah. Why didn't they just go to the cops with this? I don't know. I I get it. You want to go investigate on your own, and you want to whatever, but you've got some pretty- No, this was- You know what I mean? You've got Mm -hmm. some good evidence here. Let's- source this out to somebody who can actually do something it's not like they're not already working with Kincaid right you're right like that's the yeah. whole point that's the only reason they have any of these pictures they know about them right so that's a great yeah. question I don't know but back in Kincaid's office Sidney asks him what he knows about trilogies he says all he knows is that in the third film all bets are off now <laughs> sorry did he but, watch Randy's yeah, I, yeah. I guess so right. I'm gonna keep Saying what happens, but this scene doesn't need to be in the film. No, no, one hundred percent. Like, cut, cut the whole thing. Cut it out. Honestly, Kincaid doesn't need to be in this film. No, not, not as prevalent as he is. No, no. I really feel like they really tried to force, like, stop trying to make fetch happen. And this oh, is it. No, this yeah. is yes. the scene yeah. because she tries to make small talk with him about Hollywood, and he's like, "Well, for me, Hollywood's about death," which is like, "Wow, what?" But, <laughs> After all he's seen, he tries to relate to her, saying that he knows what it's like to see ghosts that don't go away, like a horror movie in your head. But he tells her that she's done the right thing by coming forward, and then he asks what she knew about Maureen. Sydney says that even though she thought she did, she never truly knew who Maureen was. Kincaid offers her some comforting words, including the fact that he does believe what she saw in the studio, and he's going to go check it out. On his way out, though, she asks what's his favorite scary movie. He leans in real close and says, my life. She agrees. What? Yeah, I don't know. What's (laughs) happened to you, dude? We don't even know you. No. And I think the other thing about it is that when you have this scene coming right after the scene where they were already on the set, why didn't he investigate then when it was fresh? Why is he going now to go investigate it? 
Yeah. Because we got to make a love story. Uh, or is it because we, we need don't. him? Do we need him to disappear so he's still a red herring? I My eyes are going to fall out of my <laughs> head. <laughs> okay. How much I've rolled them. In the next scene, we see Dewey, Gail, and Jennifer in a car debating if Milton is the killer. Sidebar, the green screen of this is dog shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, oh, bad. yeah. they are clearly not driving in a car. But Dewey gets a call from Sydney saying that she's headed to Milton's house with Kincaid because Milton told her that he has things he needs to tell her about Maureen. She says that she'd feel more comfortable if Dewey was there too, so the group heads to the party. Once they get there, they head inside. They ask where Sydney is, and Roman, who is already drunk, says that he would never invite the real Sydney to this party. He thought they meant Angelina, who is here, as is Tyson. Roman says that there's supposedly a massive screening room in this house where those nasty 70s parties that Milton was talking about kicked off. So the entire group, minus Dewey and Gail, who says they'll wait for Sydney, goes to look for it together. Tyson's like, we shouldn't split up with a killer on the loose. And I'm like, motherfucker, you shouldn't be here. Yeah. Period. You shouldn't. But yeah. can somebody listen to the black dude uh, once? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, seriously. He's he's right. Yeah. But that's, that's he, what I even <laughs> wrote. Like, at least one of them is thinking clearly. Yeah. But he's kind of right. Yeah. Well, yeah but... <laughs> now that we're already here, yeah, I'm yeah. Right. <laughs> I did go to the party, which was a bad no, choice yeah. to begin with. But and then as they leave, they say, "We'll be right back." They do, and that's against the rules. Yeah. yeah, you don't say that. No. In the next shot, we see that Roman and Jennifer are alone, even though they just said they were going to go check together. But whatever. Yep. They head down into a spooky basement filled with movie memorabilia. Tyson and Angelina head upstairs, with Tyson worried that Milton's going to jump out and murder them. For some reason, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But Jennifer calls down to Roman, who went into the basement alone, and they kind of tease one another about previously banging. <laughs> <laughs> but Roman finds a ghost face costume and then a coffin with what appears to be a fake ghoul inside. And he is like shook by that fake ghoul. Yeah. He is He's like, like <gasps> he is not prepared. <laughs> he hears something behind him and we see him turn around and Jennifer calls out to him after that, but she does not get an answer. Back upstairs, Dewey calls the phone number that Sydney contacted him from, and a phone in an adjacent closet rings. In the closet, they find the cell phone, along with a ghost face costume and a voice-changing device that has technology way beyond yeah. <laughs> what we even have now. But, like, also hide your evidence, dude. Hide it? You just <laughs> contaminated all the shit you found by picking yes, it up. Yes, they do. So it's just, like, talking into it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it's you, it's what? unbelievable. And through ruining all this evidence, <laughs> Gail realizes that it has everyone's voices on there, which explains the Cotton Weary business at the beginning, Dewey's call to Stone, and Sydney's call now. And somehow Maureen's call to Sydney. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not letting that slide. No, because yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But of course, they decide to split up. He gives Gail the gun, telling her to go find Roman and Jennifer, and he'll find the others. Dewey heads upstairs and bumps into Tyson, who can't find Angelina. Dewey says that they have to get out of here because it looks like Stab 3 is back in production. I was like, are you going to put on your glasses, David Caruso? <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but Gail heads into the basement, closing the door behind her, and then jumping when the door closes behind her. <laughs> she calls out to Roman and Jennifer but gets no reply through all the horror memorabilia she makes her way to that coffin but when she opens it up she finds Roman's corpse with a knife sticking out of his chest she checks his pulse for about two seconds <laughs> I, was gonna say, I love that she checked his yeah. pulse yeah it was not <laughs> like, fast enough really, to dude? but 
Jennifer jumps out, scaring the shit out of her. And after they confirm that Roman is dead, they run upstairs for Dewey. Once up there, they bump into Angelina. And when they tell her that Roman's dead, she's ready to bail. After they tell her it's not safe to go alone, she says that she did not sleep with Milton just to die here. Let her go. She's. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't please. care. I don't no! care. No, yeah. get out of here. You're going to get us all killed. But the no, thing yeah. is, is that Gail and Jennifer look at each other, but it's like, who cares? She's like, <laughs> yeah. she slept with Milton. No. You're about to die. Exactly. We're running for our lives. But Angelina runs off alone downstairs right into Ghostface, who immediately kills her. How did no one see him coming? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, like. But Gail and Jennifer run toward the sounds of Angelina's screams just to see Angela's body get dragged away. And then they let out a scream in unison. Of course. Now, again, you did not see like any blood with Angelina's death either. No. No. But they run upstairs and they bump right into Dewey. Ghostface follows close behind, fighting with Dewey, slicing his arm and then stabbing Tyson right in the gut. He just punches Dewey in the face. Yeah. Well, (laughs) because Dewey has plot armor, right? Of course. But. Why do you just punch this dude, right. but then you'll kill the black guy? I don't I'm, know. I don't like it. We've all got our issues. I don't like it. <laughs> They're starting to mount up. But he runs downstairs after Tyson, who calls out to the police for some reason. <laughs> They're not there, but Jennifer hides in a closet, but accidentally stumbles upon a secret passage. Ghostface just whips Tyson's entire ass downstairs, flipping a rug, causing him to do a backflip like a fucking cartoon. <sighs> Smashing him into glass and then finishing him off by throwing him off of the balcony. This is a spoof on scary movie, right? It feels like if, a joke. The rug pulling. Yeah. That was a I was like, come was like, on. That, yeah. This is slapstick comedy. No, yeah. Yeah. And also, why were all the candles lit in the secret passage? Um <laughs> atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> a fun note because I caught on to it, but then I confirmed it with IMDB. This house was used as the school in Halloween H2O. I did read that. I did read that. So it is only in top tier horror films is what you're saying. The best sequels too. The best (laughs) ones. But in the passage, Jennifer finds a spiral staircase and somehow Ghostface is at the bottom of it chasing her back up. Again, would make a lot more sense if there were two killers. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's why I feel like when you rewrite something, you need to go no, back yeah. and mm-hmm. make it please fit it. to the new narrative. Don't film the first draft, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer heads back up and she finds a two-way mirror that she can see into the room where Dewey and Gail are, but they can't see her. She screams and bangs on the mirror, which they can barely hear. We already did this in Scream 2. Yeah, yeah we did. Well... Honestly, they've, they've been reliving a lot of these moments, oh. so <laughs> par for the course. But Dewey sees that the mirror is moving and begins to shoot at the glass to shatter it. On the other side, Ghostface is just stabbing Jennifer in the back, in the stomach, and then through the shooting at the mirror, Jennifer pops through the last mirror, falling down dead, which causes Gail to scream. Big mistake. Very big mistake. Gail's I, scream was really good, though. Yeah. That was good. But... Big mistake. Why would she's the like no, yeah. best part of the movie? She's why we're watching. watching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, how did Ghostface get away? Because he shot through all the mirrors. I I don't know. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I think he the Ghostface is Maureen's ghost. He's actually a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but they're quickly over it though, heading downstairs where they find Tyson. They split up again, and just as they do, Ghostface grabs Gale out of nowhere. This is why you stop splitting up. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. I mean. Isn't he like, hey, you know, last time we it didn't yeah. work out too well. <laughs> it never works out very well. 
but they tussle a bit only for the two of them to fall downstairs into the basement. Ghostface is knocked out on the stairs, and upstairs, Dewey finds Tyson's corpse and calls out to Gale. Downstairs, Gale calls Dewey on the phone trying to get him to help her, but he's unconvinced that it's actually her. He finally opens the door to the basement as Ghostface just returns to life. He tries to shoot, but he's out of bullets. Ghostface throws the knife at him with the butt of it hitting him in the forehead, causing him to fall down the stairs. I've had enough. <laughs> Again, uh, slapstick. It's slapstick. It's plot armor. It's it's a lot. Dewey should be dead. <laughs> like 15 yeah, this times motherfucker's right walking through walls and teleporting mm-hmm. all over the house, but you fuck up a knife throw. Yes, apparently. Correct. Gale rushes to check on Dewey, and Ghostface just stands over the both of them, brandishing a second knife. <laughs> Surprise, but yeah. where does he keep pulling these out He of? pulls it out of his sleeve. I don't know if there's a pocket in there. I don't know. But at the police station, while the cops are having a pizza party, which they say is not a pizza party. Yeah, and they're like, get back to get work. Back to- <laughs> <laughs> is this my work? Yeah, I know, yeah. seriously. No fun allowed. But... Sydney digs into her own file that she finds on Kincaid's desk, which somehow has publicity stills from the previous Scream films <laughs> meant to be candid photos of her. It's creepy. Yeah. Is it's this, a creepy file. So is this setting up an obsession to do the red herring thing even more? Is this Dewey's file that he pulled from the records at Woodsboro? Oh, I guess it yeah. could be. Like I, I'm trying to... The way that it felt to me was yeah. that it was Kincaid's file yeah. that he made and it is... That's what I thought. It's like creepy. a it's creepy. scrapbook shrine. Yeah. <laughs> but she gets a call on the phone and it's her own voice parroting back everything she's saying until Ghostface breaks in on the line using Gale and Dewey's screams to get her attention. He tells her not to draw attention to herself and to find somewhere to be alone so they can talk. It was a little weird to me that they didn't arrange for Sydney to be anywhere else but Kincaid's office. Uh, it's yeah. like she'd be in some kind of safe house or something. Kincaid's treating it like bring your daughter to work day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just don't understand. No, you stay here, honey. Daddy's gotta go. <laughs> he literally said a safe house. Right. Daddy's yeah. got to go catch the bad guys. But <laughs> I just don't understand. But she does. And there's an adjacent office where she's alone. He tells her that her friends don't have to die. If she shows up, they will survive. But if she runs away, they die. As she eyes a bulletproof vest... He asks, don't you want to know who killed your mother? No. <laughs> no, we, we know. know. It was Billy and no, Stu. I'm just saying. Just, <laughs> he's like, I don't nah, care. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I just, he's like, don't draw attention to yourself when she starts walking out toward the cops. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he's acting like he can see her. Yes, but we know yes. he's at the mansion. We we know he's at the mansion. We literally saw him. We saw him. <laughs> yeah. He just killed like eight people. Yeah. <laughs> Not out of breath. No. Not- no. He's like, I let me make a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that'd probably be the hardest part of being Ghostface is having to make all these phone calls. <laughs> I can't. I can't do I'd it. I'd be the Ghostface that texts. Yeah. <laughs> What's this shit? But she agrees. And he says that Maureen would have been so happy to know that they'd be together. She snatches Kincaid's keys as well as his secondary gun and heads to Milton's house. What's Kincaid driving? Another police vehicle. I don't know. (laughs) I got nothing, man. They got a bottomless pit of police vehicles. Yeah, I don't know. But once there, she makes her way inside the gate to the pool, getting another call from Ghostface, telling her to use a metal detector that's lying next to Tyson's corpse. It finds Kincaid's tiny gun, and he tells her to throw it in the pool, which she does. He tells her to head inside, where she finds Gale and Dewey tied to chairs like Steve Orth. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. Complete with the duct tape. But she takes the duct tape off of Dewey's mouth, but Ghostface rushes in, slapping her to the ground. She then pulls out another gun, which she had hidden somehow, and shoots Ghostface in the chest. Two? Two she had guns? Two guns? <laughs> <laughs> How the hell did that happen? I don't know. She used the wand. She's like, I'm going to get two baby guns yeah. because he's going to have a metal detector out <laughs> there and I'll just throw guns. one. That'll get him. Stop so are it. these guns for children? They're baby yeah, guns. They're baby guns. <laughs> Those are the tiniest guns I've ever seen. But Ghostface collapses in the hall. She goes to untie Gale, but when they turn around, he's gone. They do hear noises, only for it to be Kincaid arriving on the scene. What the hell is he doing here? Now, here's something that's interesting. On the commentary, they made mention of the fact that in the original script, you never saw Kincaid again. And so they're like, why the fuck did we not give him any closure at all? So they wrote him into the scene at the last minute. When I just threw my notes down. When you're, <laughs> when you're writing a script and you forgot about a whole ass character. That's yeah. a problem. We need to go back to the beginning. The beginning. Or and, just stop and not do or it. Or just be like, we, we yeah. weren't meant to make this movie. Yeah. Three years. You for, you forgot about a character. Like, oh shit. Like, how do you do? I don't know how you do that. But... After a short standoff, Kincaid puts his gun down, calming Sydney, only for Ghostface to burst out behind her. Now, there is a moment when Kincaid's putting his gun down that it looks like he's about to reveal himself as Ghostface. Yes, yes. So I do like that character moment. Yeah. yeah. Patrick Dempsey did a good job. He, with what he was given, yeah. he did yeah. an excellent job. But Kincaid pushes her out of the way, saving her, but he gets stabbed himself and then knocked out in the struggle in a very comedic fashion. A very oh my god this the choreography for this fight is rough when he hits his face on the he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. you laugh I yeah. know. it's not supposed to be funny it's not it Especially, was. It was. we're in we're in the third act this shouldn't be like this anymore oh my god sydney wastes her last bullet and then tells ghostface to just chase her as she throws her gun away he does so in clumsy ghostface fashion and sydney locks herself in an office she notices a light under a bookcase, which when opened, reveals the massive screening room that Roman talked about. Inside, she hears Maureen's voice along with voyeur home movies being projected onto a screen. The sheet ghost from earlier reveals itself with Maureen's voice giving way to ghost faces as he tears off the sheet. So how does he know that she was having dreams about Maureen enough to where they would pay off in the third act? Because <laughs> he read you the know script. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he's doing exactly what her dream was doing. Okay, yeah. but, but also no, he's, yeah. he's chasing her. She goes in like the secret library bookcase. Uh-huh. And he comes in from the opposite side of the room. Yes, he does. How how? Now there's an even more offensive thing that happens regarding that in just a minute. But he locks the room as Sydney tries to escape, saying it's time that she came to terms with things. He explained he searched for his mother too, Rena Reynolds. Only when he found her, she had a new name and a new life with no room for him. He takes off his mask to reveal that he's Roman Bridger, Sydney's half-brother. And I know you're all wondering who? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the director. <laughs> the director of the... This felt like... Uh, well, he says Roman Bridger director because <laughs> we all forgot. Does, oh, my God. This is like when you're watching Scooby-Doo when you're a kid and you're like, it has to be that lighthouse keeper because he's the only new motherfucker yeah. that's in this episode. <laughs> that's what it felt like. I feel like, I don't know, this is just underwhelming for me. 
Yeah, it didn't really feel like a surprise. Not really. Because you don't give a shit about him. Yeah. He's in a, fee- a hand... He's in enough scenes that you recognize him when he takes the fucking thing off, even yeah. though you don't really because he doesn't have his glasses on. Yeah. So for a second, you're like, who? It's almost like Mickey and Scream too, where you're like, well, oh, I guess. I mean, yeah, right. yeah but Mickey was like, and but we don't the support get, system. like yeah. he was the the secondary one. But we don't have a Laurie Metcalf. You, we don't have <laughs> Laurie Metcalf. That's what this film is missing. Laurie Metcalf. But as it turns out, Roman took footage of Maureen, I guess, after she told him that she wanted him to have no part of her life. He also took footage of Maureen and Cotton, as well as Maureen and Billy Loomis's father. He apparently showed the tapes to Billy, gave him the right motivation, and directed him and Stu to kill Maureen. My eyes just hit the floor. He said, I'm a director. And she's like, shut the... You know, she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh my God. But in the other room... Dewey and Gail free themselves of their restraints as very jovial music plays. I literally put, why is the music here so playful? It's, it's yeah. like, it's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so weird. But they check on Kincaid because they remembered him. And <laughs> he gives them his gun, telling them to go get the son of a bitch. Back in the screening room, Roman pulls a tied up Milton out of the closet, explaining his plan to frame Sydney, claiming that her motive is revenge for Milton ruining Maureen's life. He very crudely says, in this very room, they fucked her three ways from Sunday. Very rough. Which, are we to believe now that Milton is Roman's father? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I wish I could offer more. Everything about this <laughs> bothered me. And uh, some bullshit narrative that they, quote unquote, made her a slut because of what they did to her. I I think it makes me physically angry. It pisses yeah. me off. I think he's saying her reputation. Not I, I don't think so. That's not really? how I took it. Oh, I, I, I took it as him saying that they ruined Maureen's reputation and her life. I took it in a much more problematic oh way. you mean like they ruined her yes. like as a woman yes oh that's, that's how offensive. i took it because now in he's playing uh the video the video of her coming out of hotel rooms <gasps> like yeah fuck you like this is infuriating yeah i mean she was a married woman but she's also a grown-ass woman yeah. who can do whatever yeah. the fuck she wants that has no bearing on the horrible thing that happened not to her at all here. there's no justification what are you what are you doing no <laughs> like, what, are what are you, you doing, doing dude, dude? It's uh I was like, wow, this movie woo Yeah. I was like, that's a yikes. yikes. <laughs> but he also has a tape with quote Sydney unquote threatening Milton thanks to his amazing voice changing device. I want one of those. I, yeah. I'm afraid for anyone to have one of those. <laughs> but Milton says he'll give Roman anything he wants. A higher budget, a new film, final cut. Roman says he already has that and slits Milton's throat. If I was Milton, I would refrain from any knife related yeah. Yeah. All knife jokes. <laughs> wait, just wait until I'm safe. <laughs> After he throws Milton to the floor, Gail and Dewey break into the office leading to the screening room. Roman continues to detail his frame job of Sydney and how he'll be the sole survivor who kills her, saying that he'll finally have everything she has, everything that should have been his. Huh? <laughs> Sydney cuts the bullshit and tells him that he's to blame for everything and to take some fucking responsibility. This is when a chase slash fight ensues. They trade blows, beating the absolute <laughs> shit out of each other. Why are they, why are they fighting like Silverbender and Goldbender? <laughs> <laughs> 
they're not twins i don't know you know the other thing though i will say with the casting is that nev campbell and scott foley could play siblings they, you know, very yeah. easily not honestly not that's bad. pretty good casting yeah. but roman eventually gets the upper hand and we see him choking sydney Gail and Dewey continue trying to break in with hilarious consequences. Why were all those tools laid out? Is this <laughs> hostile? <laughs> I don't know. But Dewey basically grabs a tool and puts it into the outlet and he goes, stand back. And then he electrocutes himself and lets out a scream. Why Why did he do that? I don't know. To get out of the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> if I shock myself, they I won't. Yeah. Yeah. It's just David Arquette. That was, yeah. <laughs> why didn't that kill him? I don't know, but... All it does is take off all the electricity in the house. But Kincaid very cautiously breaks into the room to find Sydney on the floor. That's my issue because uh, I thought it was a secret passage you had to get to. Yep. Why are you using a lockpick yeah. to get in here? Yep. So whatever. I don't know. But Roman ambushes him, breaking a chair on his back like Homer in the bath. <laughs> He goes in for the kill, but Sydney has his knife. She's like, lose something? He replies, found something. And he shoots her in the chest with Kincaid's gun. Distracted by Gale and Dewey, Roman doesn't notice that Sydney has pulled a disappearing act, and he ransacks the entire place trying to find her. Distracted by a cell phone call, Sydney stabs Roman in the back, and finally, the chest, after revealing her bulletproof vest and delivering a very cheesy line, saying, what's your film called? Stab three. And then she stabs him for a third time. You get it. She, right. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> okay. she was not wearing that fucking bulletproof no, vest. No, she was not at, all, at any point. She was just wearing a shirt. <laughs> no. At any point before and this. And can I also point out, if she herself was wearing a bulletproof vest, why would she shoot Ghostface in the chest? Yeah. She's like, maybe he also has one of those. Like, by, well, by the same token, why didn't he shoot her in the head? These are all great questions. And Gail and well, Dewey are loud as fuck. Oh, yeah, they yeah. are. I can't, I can't, I get, can't in. get in. He's like, I've got time. So electrocuting yourself didn't even, didn't no, even work? No, it didn't, <laughs> didn't amount well, to anything. Two, if he's wearing a vest when she stabbed him, that wouldn't go through that vest. You're right. Kevlar is not. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking right. I, f I forgot to mention his dramatic reveal of his vest earlier yeah. in front of the screen as he's just breathing heavily. Yeah. Breathing really heavily. <laughs> but yeah, that is true. But Dewey and Gale finally burst in with Gale going to check on Kincaid. Gale's like, it was Roman? Like, I'm like. <laughs> Gale's like, who the fuck is Yeah. <laughs> at least someone cares, you know? Yeah. But Sydney reaches out to hold Roman's hand as he dies. I'm not doing none of that shit. I'm sorry. You don't even know him. I know this is supposed to be like a brother sister moment or whatever. Yeah. You didn't even know he existed no. until five. It didn't work for yeah. me. Your only knowledge of his existence is ruining your fucking life. Literally. Yeah. And sometimes water's thicker than blood, <laughs> yeah. dude. I'm in this I'm sorry. Case it is. But Dewey says to be careful because Randy said the killer was superhuman and Sydney says that Roman isn't. Just then, Roman on his second life is superhuman. Is <laughs> Randy was right. He pops up and Dewey shoots him in the chest several times. Sydney screams for Dewey to shoot him in the head, which Dewey finally does, killing him. Because when he's shooting him isn't he like you can't kill me yeah he's like, don't. <laughs> oh i don't know I, I don't know i don't know dewey hey and maybe that is the point as far as the knife not going through if he was allowed to pop back up i don't know i'm trying but like we watched him die yeah <laughs> he was just being dramatic about <laughs> it so annoying <laughs> but we fade to sydney's house some indistinct day in the future while sydney takes cherokee for a walk dewey asks gail to sign a copy of her book for him 
She opens it to find it hollowed out with a ring inside. He asks Gail to marry him with a pretty sweet speech. It is. I I still love them together. Yes. Yeah. But it's like, okay, we got our movie. Let's put him back yeah. together now. Yeah. Like, they should have been together from the start. Yes. She kisses him, which I guess means yes. Very triumphant music plays. <laughs> it's like we're inside Dewey's head. <laughs> but Sydney opens the gate to return home with Cherokee, leaving it wide open. She heads inside her house, but doesn't set the alarm. Kincaid, with his arm in a sling, says for Sydney to join them so they can all watch a movie together. Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) So are we supposed to assume that they're together now? That's her boyfriend? I don't know. Whatever. But she asks what kind, and he says that she'll have to come and see. Before she can join them, the door creaks open. She looks at it, smiling, finally at peace, and walks into the living room to join her friends. Close, close your fucking door. I'm sorry. I understand that this is like character development for her right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. You still don't need to be leaving your shit open no. like that. Well, Ghostface isn't the only horror in the world. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to ask the customary question. What did you guys think of Scream 3? Um, No. That's all I can... Like, I, I know I'm not a huge fan of this, you know, these movies, mm-hmm. but you like fucked this up. And I'm sorry whoever worked on it or, you know, had anything to do with it. <laughs> I don't mean it in a bad way. I just, I, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it just was like, I don't want to watch this again, ever. I don't want to show my kids. <laughs> <laughs> just no. Raise your hand if you've ever felt personally victimized by Scream 3. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big fan of the franchise. And so I feel like it hurts me deeper mm-hmm. because it's like you took something I loved and kind of like made fun of it almost. Yeah. Or like it feels like a fan fiction brought to life. Yeah. Somebody who has somewhat of a grasp of what these characters archetypally are. Right. Let's throw them in Hollywood. Let's. Now Sydney has a brother. No, dude. No, that's, that's <laughs> not what any of this is. It feels like somebody who had no business getting their hands on this got their hands on it. Right. That's what this movie feels like. So I have a question for you then, mm. because I know there's another movie you really hated. Me? Yeah. <laughs> so you said fan fiction. Uh-huh. So what's worse, this or Sex in the City 2? Because I know that oh, I I seen a couple of bits and pieces. Your sister, I would walk in the room. That was also uh-huh. fan fiction. And that was. I feel mm. like that has to be worse, right? I've never seen any of that, but I, uh, you were way more viscerally angry at that. Yeah. <laughs> this, you just seem very disappointed. I'm upset by this. Sex and the City 2 did make me angry. All right. <laughs> okay. I, no, this made me angry too, but. In a different In, in, in a, a different, different way. way. <laughs> they sang, I am woman, hear me roar. On, on, and karaoke. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not over it. Uh but yeah, this this movie also hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same issue. It feels like fan it feels like somebody was like, wouldn't it be cute if they right. went to Hollywood? Oh my god, and Jay and Silent Bob is there and mm-hmm. and and Carrie Fisher and this that's not what this franchise ever was no. ever. I do want to point out that according to IMDb that was originally supposed to be Jamie Lee Curtis, which would would have made a lot more sense than Carrie Fisher. It in, would have, oh, yeah. but it, she said no. Well. <laughs> I don't blame her. But I agree with both of you. I think it sucks so bad for me personally for that same reason is that I am such a huge fan of this franchise. Yeah, 
And as a kid, I really didn't see all the problems with this movie. I was just happy to see the gang back together exactly. again. Exactly. And honestly, you know, the gang is barely back together in this movie. You're right. <laughs> and after hearing that they had Nev Campbell for so short a time, you mm-hmm. you, can yeah, tell. you can tell. Absolutely, you can tell. They put, She's not even the main character yeah, of this movie. No. Way more emphasis on side characters yeah. that don't really deserve it. No. Except for Parker Posey. She was she was the best part of the whole movie. Yeah, she's, she's a miracle in this because without her, I don't. There, it's not that this movie is like pointless or worthless or whatever. Right. But she's clearly the best thing that this film has going for it. A hundred percent agree. The issues I have, it's 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 they tone down what makes Scream scream, right? And then they just turn the comedy up. It just it feels like it doesn't even fit to me. Like, no, no. You, you took the characters from Scream and put them in something completely different. That's mm-hmm. what it feels like. Hands down, my least favorite sequel in the franchise. Easily, very not, easily, not even close. But I guess that leads us to ratings, and I will go first. We've had a lot of harsh things to say about this right. movie <laughs> throughout, but I mean, there is some good here. It is good to see the gang back together a little bit. It is. Some of the scares don't work as well as they used to, but they're not entirely horrible. Mm -hmm. The scene with the fax machine is a neat idea. Right. I think that the execution, I think that's a lot of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The execution just kind of lacking. And the writing is not as snappy and satirical as Kevin Williamson if he had written it. Nope. It's, It's just, it's... It feels like something is missing. It feels like people that don't understand Scream made Scream. We had said at the top, it barely feels like this is a Wes Craven film to begin with. Genuinely, yeah. I like it more where they're doing a satire of horror as opposed to doing a satire of show business. Mm -hmm. Right. The finale is incredibly underwhelming. Mm -hmm. I just feel like they just missed the mark here. Yeah. You know, and I could go on talking all kinds of mess about it all day (laughs) but i will end by saying that parker posey is a legend yes (laughs) and i very much appreciate her being here but out of 10 red herrings i am going to give scream 3 4.5 out of 10 red herrings and i will now open the floor to you okay um i'm sure everyone wants to hear me complain some more so uh (laughs) if i mean one of the issues that i had was with the And I know this franchise is kind of based on red herrings, Mm -hmm. but I feel like they've always been more clever. Yeah. Like this felt like the ending was going to be that they were it and then they changed it. Like that's what it it doesn't feel like a red herring. It feels like a script rewrite, if that makes sense. Where they forgot to take out the part where she's standing on the toilet like Ghostface was in the first screen. And it would have been a lot better if Angelina, who is playing Sydney in the movie, was Roman's accomplice. It would have made made so much more sense. And there's moments where that don't make sense unless there is two Ghostfaces. Yes. No, seriously. (laughs) I mean, for all the bad that I can say about it, and I I could say more, Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like I've made myself clear. (laughs) We do, we love Gail and Dewey, Mm -hmm. Sydney, um, uh, Cotton, that bothered me too. Yeah, he, uh, does, I'm, uh, I'm he, back- des- he deserved better. <laughs> I'm backsliding. <laughs> <laughs> Parker Posey too, phenomenal. Um, the ending was really bad for me. I yeah. I maybe if Roman was a little more fleshed out and or it maybe even had a mystique to him because he yeah, doesn't. He's no. a throwaway character until he's Ghostface. You don't. Yeah. 
But I am going to, <laughs> I guess, give half a point for the few good things that I said. Mm-hmm. Um, but this did go down a little bit from when we sat down <laughs> at the table. <laughs> So just to try to kind of be fair, I'm going to agree with you. Okay. And I'm also going to give Scream 3 4.5 out of 10 red herrings. And the way that John Paul looks, I think you and I were generous. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I don't want to say too much more bad things. Okay. But I will give a whole full ass point for Parker Posey because yes. that was the best thing about the movie. It was just all over the place. It just it knowing more now what you said like about how the script was, mm-hmm. it makes more sense. It's like, God, you couldn't have fixed this shit or seriously. Something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um so on a scale from one to ten red herrings, mm-hmm. I'm gonna give Scream Three three point five <laughs> red herrings. Higher than I That's thought it was. Higher than uh, I expected. <laughs> well, you remember I added the point. True. For so, Parker she earned it. I mean, I think it's plain to see that none of us were blown away. Uh, yeah, I'd um, say so. I'm glad because I thought I was going to. No. Be- <laughs> I think and what really gets me is that they came back for Scream 4, which is a much better film. And I'm so glad that they did because they could not end it here. I feel like Scream, like you brought up Sex in the City. They're coming with a reboot. I'm like, this is an apology for the second movie. <laughs> Scream 4 was an apology for well, Scream 3. I hope so because... I can't do many more of these. <laughs> hey, there's five's only coming. One, there's uh, only, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Scream 3 and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, if you want to survive a trilogy, you have to follow the rules. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned until after the music. We want to give a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to us, bitch. This whole time. (laughs) No no joke. Now it's the happy part. (laughs) Special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Heusden, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kenton Allison Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, and Pierre Lombard. Thank you all so much. You make all this possible. That's I right. Can't thank Absolutely. You we appreciate you so much that we could scream three. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. That movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.